one day he got really pissed off about something and walked out and I thought my life was over. It actually felt like your first kind of breakup, that hollow feeling. Like, But it wasn't like a, a love affair. It was just like, this is my business, my life, and it's over today. And then it was like, no, it's not. And then I just did it and I could do it. That was a lesson too, as I've learned many now going forward, but that one where something seems critical, after that moment when you go through that that eye of the needle, it's never that bad again. And you learn something from it. That was a clip from today's guest, Chef Tanya. Um, today's conversation is one of those ones where, you know, Monica and I will kind of spitball about like, who could we have on? And we were literally eating at Chef Tanya's and it's like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could have Chef Tanya on the show? And Monica being Monica was like, oh, we're, yes, we're gonna do this. And I, I just didn't think it was gonna happen. Not because I, thought like it was just like this unattainable thing but you know I'm literally like my mouth is half full of chili cheese fries <laughs> and I'm like I don't I don't know if it's going to happen. I uh, here we are, you know, a few months later and having this conversation with someone who I believe is not just a trailblazer and a leader but also someone who's got a lot of courage to change the world around them in a cool and compassionate way. And if there's anything really about leadership, it's not just about you know, going in and creating margins of profit and make, making a business well. It's about doing something that changes lives and changes the world in a positive way. So before we get to the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. You know, all that stuff helps. And, and uh, with that, my name is Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, Chef Tanya, welcome to the show. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Excellent. All right, so for the uninitiated, for those who don't know, who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Tanya Petrovna, also known as Chef Tanya, and that's a hint to what I do. One of those two words, <laughs> chef. But what kind of chef am I? Um, I am a vegan chef. That means I, it is plant-based and I don't uh, use any animal products. Some people like to say with a face or a mother, I could go with that. I started to become a chef, not to really be a chef. It wasn't the idea. The idea first was I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was growing up uh, completely. I knew I loved animals. I wanted to help animals. And I sort of thought about a vet being a vet. And I, I, that's another story when I wanted to be a vet and what happened, it kind of led me in direction. Well, maybe not just yet. I ended up at a, a school in Santa Cruz because of marine mammals was also, I was a save the whales kid. So it, as I grew up saving pets and things, I was also, I read an article about how they treat the whales and the whaling industry. And I was just appalled. So in eighth grade and ninth grade, you could see me wearing the Save the Whales t-shirt, boycott Japanese and Russian goods because they were doing big whale hunts still. And I can't believe though, actually, they've been protesting this long for that alone and they're still whaling. So that's another, another story. But what happened um, during that time of growing up and my love for animals from rescue pets as they came about the property to my knowledge of how animals are treated from whales to then it started with veal and farm animals and 
eating animals. And then that was kind of the drive to say, you know, by the time I'm 18, I'm going to be an adult and I don't do what my parents say or what anybody says. I, that was sort of going to be my defining moment to become a vegetarian and to not consume the animals that I really loved and cared for. Also during I was growing up was a, uh, my parents were foodies. You know, they were European immigrants, got into food service because that was just a job for them in this country. And they also though had a passion for it. And so everything was discussed, what we were eating and how it was prepared. And my mom loved reading whatever she could find on different food and cuisines. And back then there weren't any magazines. She uh, could read German. So she'd pick a German magazine and they had recipes in these magazines. Back then it was just a family circle or women's day and they'd have like jello mold um, recipes. And my parents always thought like white bread was weird. So all these foods that my friends were eating um, were not something that even I tried to like because I wanted to be like everyone, but I didn't even like it. I loved the fresh food that she would make and sauteed mushrooms and I'd have to chop the herbs for her during when I was little, go pick it in the garden. And so that was sort of normal to me. Back then there wasn't a word, foodie wasn't a word, which actually would describe them. So my friends called me the other word that fit at the time, weirdo, because I ate these <laughs> foods that were not like what everybody else was eating. And uh, try as I may, I even took my sandwiches to school because they were not on white bread. My parents happened to find a local baker that made like rye and the Jewish bakery that had rye bread and different kinds. So I'd have this weird kind of bread with some weird stuff inside it. And I would eat my sandwiches so the table would be here and I would take a bite, put it under the table just so I didn't get ridiculed, but I wasn't going to give it up. You know, I wasn't like defiant to say, well, this is good. And so as time went on, I, most of the food, what I realized now and looking back is that the flavor really didn't come from the animals and there wasn't a ton of it. Like we weren't, it weren't, it wasn't American big steak. You have a big steak to eat lunch. It would be certain things sauteed with garlic or you know, the flavors came from the vegetables. Mm. And I will still say that today when, unless you're just liking the flavor of a steak, it's what you, the people put in garlic salt and all, it, well, it's coming from some kind of plant. So when I'm 18, I become a vegetarian cooking on my own. And then I get to school in Santa Cruz and I would tie in to my love for animals, for the whales and such. So I thought I'm gonna study marine biology there and biology in general. And I was blessed to meet a lady at the time who uh, was making fresh tempeh and seitan. I rented a room from her. It's like, what is this? What's it called? Where is it from? At the same time, uh, I was, we were taking chemistry and she came from the tempeh and seitan from a macrobiotic point of view. Hmm. And I started reading her cookbooks and I was taking chemistry and it kind of made sense. And the whole plant-based and all these foods, like, you want to eat enough food to give you the amount of energy, taking the least energy to digest, you know? And so um, that was great for me to learn because I can explain the protein. Like, well, you need protein. You do, but where does protein come from, you know? So I could explain that. And then I'm still cooking, you know, because I became a vegetarian at 18 and I had to cook for myself. And I remember my mother's flavors and all that and incorporating it. But when I found tempeh and seitan, this light bulb really went off in my college years there. And I thought, if people could have this, like this tempeh, this could be sauteed. This is like a burger. This could be, if people had these alternatives to the textures, because at this point I thought people don't eat, people eat for flavor and texture. Mm -hmm. 
They really don't care. They don't see roadkill and get hungry and stop at McDonald's, right? Yeah. You see you see fruit trees and you go, oh, you, you pick cherries. Like, I want to do that. But really, the inclination was more uh, that people are just in a hurry. They're hungry and they're not really thinking about where it all came from. Mm. I'd been doing that my whole life. So at that point, I thought, what if there was a chain? And I remember doing little diagrams while sitting in class, like McDonald's and well, here are these other chains that are all vegetarian. And so that was uh, a passion for me. I was also at that point thinking marine biology, but I was also doing yoga since I was like high school. Mm. I don't know, I found the show on PBS. And now I'm in college and we're doing Iyengar style yoga. Mm. There's classes. So I'm getting, all this is kind of culminating and that wouldn't it be great if people could be healthy and, you know, here it is, if they ate vegetables and vegetarian, they would be, but they're afraid, they think they need the meat. And now I'm finding these alternatives and I'm being able to prepare them and show them to my friends and they all like it. And I, for, I did a little stint with an exercise physiologist, you know, doing back then measuring fat content and taking surveys of all these people of what they ate and you know really nobody was eating vegetables at all and you could just see how gee if they had some options they would maybe like this and then we could make the world a better place to live for the animals for the people would feel better they'd be probably nicer people when they feel better they're usually in a better mood and the environment of course was you know would suffer less the amount of water used for grains as compared to beef and meats. And so I was always writing letters since I was little for something, to save something. And so it started becoming a bigger picture, but I always liked to cook. And so then one day I just thought, let me try this. So I started with a little uh, kitchen in the house and doing meal plans for people. And then it turned into a restaurant where I really didn't know anything about kitchen cooking it. I could cook. It's a whole different story when you're in a kitchen uh, for massive amount of people. I did hire a chef at the time for my first restaurant. And so I was working with him, but I showed him how to make the tempeh and seitan. And one day he got really pissed off about something and walked out and I thought my life was over. It actually felt like your first kind of breakup, that hollow feeling like, <laughs> but it wasn't like a love affair. It was just like, this is my business, my yeah. life, and it's over today. And then it was like, no, it's not. And then I just did it and I could do it. I could, you know, in the kitchen, you have to be able to read tickets and put things together fast and, and I could do it. It's like, ah, so that, so that was a lesson too, as I've learned many now going forward, but that one where something seems critical after that moment, when you go through that, that eye of the needle, it's never that bad again. And you learn something from it. So I did it with Adam. And from that day forward, I said, you know, I will be the chef. And this is fine because I know what we need to do now, you know, or I need to do for running all parts of the business. Now, granted, also, I grew up, my first jobs were in restaurants, too. So I was always waiting tables and I was always the front end. So I had the, the front, the house, as they call it, down. I could talk to people. You know, I knew what was going on out there and I knew what needed to be done to run an efficient something out front, just the kitchen was like new to me, you know? So that's how I kind of ended up as Chef Tanya, but it also was always driven not just to be a chef and to, you know, have accolades as a chef, but to really create things that people would like so they would also say, oh, I could eat this way. Oh, this isn't so bad. And it started working.
then when my first restaurant uh, I opened was called Empty Plates, a little place downtown Palm Springs. And I still find people from that era is one year open. It was this whole little, it was, it was like my test for life. A lot of things happened, like the chef leaving. And so what I learned and people started telling me, you know, I felt good after I ate here. And I said, you know, you're supposed to. So we're just so used to feeling not good after we eat because we eat all the stuff that doesn't go and it's heavy and you feel tired and bloated. So you're supposed to feel good after you eat. And it's like, oh yeah. And then I would get people, they were bringing their parents who were aging. And they said, you know, this is the only place my parents can eat. My parent, you know, so as we start to age, our digestive system slows down a little bit too. And we have to be careful of what we eat. And so they would like the parents could eat there now too. And so to me, it was like a doctor's office in a sense. I would see all the high cholesterol. Well, just have some soups and brown rice, you know, take it easy. And they go, the 30 days, I did it, you know. And I, so 30 days, you can drop all this cholesterol. And it was always fun to see. So it always inspired me daily. So my inspiration has been from what more I can leave the world with or, or change, the, change people a little bit, but not by me changing them, by them changing themselves. So I can be the choice. So I realized, you know what, I'm just going to be that choice. You all can do what you want, but when you decide or when I can give you this good meal and, you know, you can have a little light go on inside and go, it wasn't that bad. I could eat a plant-based meal. I could be a vegetarian. I could be a vegan at least one day a week least one meal a week, you know, I've seen the changes, you know, like, oh yeah, we're vegan now. My whole family's vegan, you know, so I, then these stories start coming through the years. That's why it's been helpful to staying on track for these many years um, that I've done this, but because now the results start to show too, you know, so the stories just keep unfolding and it's always a great day to walk into the restaurant and hear something. I love that. There's tons I want to unpack there. Um, can we go back to that, like, hey, I'm turning 18 and I'm going to be vegetarian? Yeah. When do you recall first even hearing about the idea of being vegetarian? So there was a little health food store downtown, and we'd all, like, leave high school and go to lunch. And this was in Palm Springs? It was in right? Palm Springs. And uh, it was kind of cool. George Hamilton would get there for juices, and, like, it was just this little. And one guy was there, and he had all this artwork. He was working the, like, the cool few years older guys, probably, like, you know, 18 or 19, and we were like 16. So it was like older guy, it was cute, and he did all this cool art. And they were making, it was called a flying carpet. They had akma crackers and avocado. And, and I was like, ooh, avocado sandwich. And that, like, it's still my go-to from mm -hmm. that. So we like these avocado sandwiches with this stuff called Spike. It was a seasoning. Oh, yeah. From the 70s season, yeah. Spike. And so I was like, oh, and it was all kind of new to me, sprouts and mm -hmm. avocado. I ate fresh food, but it wasn't like that 70s out of the 60s uh, avocado sandwich thing. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. And so they talked about vegetarian. They had books around, you know, it was a funky little old health food store. And then um, the guy that worked there uh, was telling me about all these different books and all the people that knew, the older people and friends of the family that knew that I was going to think about this vegetarian, that you better read. You better read everything because you, you know, how are you going to eat your protein? You're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't know how you're going to do this. You really need meat to survive. And that was really like, everybody thought that way back then. It was like, really? So I said, okay, you know, and I liked biology. I ended up being a biology major. So I liked my science classes and I liked reading those kinds of books. So I was buying those books at the health food store. Sugar Blues, I'm trying to think of all the names of the books I was reading. 
uh, some of the fasting books. And, you know, so as I'm reading this, and then, you know, taking some biology classes here and there, I'm thinking, you know, and these people with their wonderful hearts and concern for me, telling me to read these books and telling me why I should, you know, be careful, aren't reading these books. Because if they were too, they'd all be vegetarian. Because it's like, <laughs> things are making sense scientifically, you know, people's, you know. And so it's like, yeah, it's kind of common sense. Like, really, there's nothing um, except for people like something, you know, it tastes good. I mean, and back then, you know, being young, it's like, well, my friends that thought it tastes good, that's just because they want a burger and fries. They didn't really care what was in it. Yeah. To me, I had learned a lot and I love these avocado sandwiches and I just thought it was cool and none of my friends were doing it. I don't know if they did it. I just was like, I, that's why I think I was supposed to do what I was supposed to do mm -hmm. because the situations that came, my parents, you know, uh, if, if because they were Europeans and came from some other country, most people from other countries and cultures eat fresh food regularly it's like a normal thing but here we had gotten you know from the 50s and world war ii and the, you know swanson's tv dinners and that's what everybody was eating and that's what if you you know were successful you didn't buy prepare vegetables you bought a can you know and i would have fresh green beans and oh well here's a story my my aunt wasn't the cook my mother was my aunt was the seamstress my mother wasn't so anyway they and they lived in the bay area and i would go visit for a summer in, for a week or so and I remember um she would make the kids um white bread sandwiches with bologna and miracle whip and I couldn't eat it I was hungry because the sweet miracle whip it just wasn't in my palate sounds so gross but it's what everybody totally, ate totally, so totally. you know I mean my cousins will still think it's like their favorite that's their comfort food yeah. that's what, so you could see what you feed your kids and then it ties into later in life where people are you know teach your kids well from the beginning because they'll like it it's sort of natural you yeah. know um, they'll be influenced by you too and all that. So we're having dinner and my aunt said she's making spinach and I was so excited because I love spinach. So granted my mother would chop garlic, she, I'd wash the spinach three times, it was fresh spinach and <clears throat> she'd saute it a little almond and then she'd put a touch of cream in it, you know, back then. And it's like, oh my gosh, it was like the best spinach. I could eat bowls of summer spinach, mom. And everybody, that's where my friends thought I was weird too. You like spinach? That was the worst food. They, they, they could not believe I like spinach. So here my aunt is, we're gonna have spinach for dinner. I'm so excited. Finally, something I liked was coming up for dinner and there it was on the plate. It was like, um, you know, just like frozen spinach, like mm. heated and squeezed out with the lemon slice on the side. And I'm like, I took a bite and I was like, boom, this is why my friends don't like spinach, mm. you know? And it was like, okay, darn, we're going for ice cream later, <laughs> maybe, no. So now, I've, I've read the books, I'm doing it on my own and I'm cooking a lot. You know, I move out and I'm always cooking and I had influence how to cook and try things. And that was just, that was my defining moment and why I just remember it wasn't hard. Um, when I, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, which is like, have you been to Calgary? No, it's it, cold. It, well, well <laughs> no, yes, I, know. I mean, it, it, I know. it can be very, but it's kind of like, it's a very, very similar to Texas. It has a lot of similarities. It's yes, got a big that, oil industry. It's got a big cattle industry. In that run, that um, the horse stampede thing. The stampede. I know. Um, and then the huge ro rodeo. So I grew up. Well, oh, sorry. I grew up story. with like all of this backdrop, like yeah. the stampede being a normal thing. Yeah. And I, I went to Catholic school. Both my parents were immigrants, and so I totally relate to that idea. My parents were um, very into fresh food, and my yeah. dad 
uh, was an amazing cook, a really yeah. amazing cook. And my mom was quite a good cook, but my dad did most of the, uh, of the cooking. And uh, it was a lot of, my uh, father was Armenian, but he grew up in Syria. Oh, wow. And he lived all over the world. So, and my mother, when, once they were married, they lived all over the world as well. Um, they pulled from a lot of different um, palates, and yeah. a lot of different, uh, a lot of different um, dishes uh, from, from different places were brought into our home. So we had a lot of, like, we had the, like, we wasn't bologna with Miracle Whip, but we had the, like, deli meats and stuff like yeah. that. But a lot of our meals were, like, really fresh made like i had hummus before like you know it's like hummus oh you gosh. say that to anyone now they're yeah. like of course but it was in like the early 80s we're eating hummus and i was like embarrassed as a kid i know i know <laughs> I, yeah, under the table you know <laughs> totally. like, so um but what i grew up with a backdrop of was that animals were here for us to eat and and not this didn't come from my parents i don't know where i first got this idea but animals were put on the planet by god for us to eat and i grew up literally thinking that because i went to catholic school as they said and i just grew up in this kind of religious backdrop and my parents weren't like really intensely religious people although my mother is a is a catholic and and um, taught at catholic school oh. it wasn't like a really intense uh religious experience uh, that we we're having at home but just the backdrop was like animals are here for us to eat mm -hmm. and i remember first hearing about vegetarianism i must have been like maybe junior high, maybe even high school before I heard, really like knew. And I was like, why would you do that? Like, it was almost like I thought like animals were pears or like a yeah, watermelon. Right, right, like. right, right. And I, I was completely disconnected from it. And I also didn't grow up in a house with pets. Oh. So I didn't have like animal friends or companions. Yeah. So the first time I remember meeting uh, this kid when I was in high school who said they were vegetarian and I felt like it was someone who had just come from Mars. Like I was like, what? And I was like totally fascinated, but like from like a critical point of view, I was just like, I asked every stupid question or said everything that like anyone had ever said, yeah. right? And it wasn't until I started really getting into uh, punk and hardcore music that I started to have these ideas challenged. And I'd say just from like a critical point of view where like when I started listening to music that critiqued systems is when I was like, oh, oh, like this actually might not be like a universal truth. This might not be a thing that's real. So there's this band, Youth of Today, that had a song called No More. Um, and I'm not sure if you if you know anything about punk or hardcore. Do you have any connection to it? A little bit, but it was just, I was coming into my 20s when it was start, you know, yeah. getting its movement. I started working. Um, so this band- That's when I lost my music, when I was having to work all day. <laughs> But anyway, good. Uh, and there was no Spotify back then. I know. <laughs> so this band called Youth of Today wrote a song called No More. And I can't even tell you like the impact it had on me. I was like, oh, because I'd also thought that it was about health. And I didn't even think about animal welfare at all. I was like, oh, you're just like kind of this hippie kind of health person. Like, okay. I thought it was weird, but I didn't think negatively yeah. of it. I just kind of thought like, oh, and I also kind of thought it's like, oh, these are people who are just trying to be weirdos, like, you know, like stand out. It's like yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever negative idea that you have as a high school kid. I wasn't against it, but I just thought it was a weird thing. I got my hands on this record called We're Not In This Alone uh, by this band called Youth of Today. And this song was about animal, had more to do with animal welfare. And then later on, there was a band called Instead uh, that had a song called Feel Their Pain. And I was like, oh, shit this is a different thing. And I hadn't really just thought about it. So 
that's what got me interested in the idea of being vegetarian and more from a like not at all from health but more from a um, how you walk on the earth and um, kind of being spiritually sound i don't mean in a religious way but uh you know do you walk in a heavy way or a light way and i was thinking about it i was thinking about it and you know i did the thing you're like you know i was in high school i was at my parents house you know i wasn't sure how they would react to it i was kind of half-heartedly interested in it Um, but right when i was graduating from high school there was this band from syracuse new york called earth crisis which is like what a name right and they put out this record and they were a vegan band and i had heard of veganism just kind of like almost like it was like some weirdo cult yeah and they came (laughs) maybe it is they came out um with this record called firestorm and then they later on came out with a record called destroy the machines at full length and i was completely like flabbergasted by the way they were talking about it the movement in punk and hardcore at that time had gone from vegetarian to vegan and i was just like totally captivated like yes this is the thing and it was a life-changing moment this was the kind of early-ish 90s i'd say like maybe i i think i i kind of made the change around the mid 90s and initially made the change for it was doing it for a couple of years and then went back to vegetarianism then went to, back to eating meat then eventually came back to it uh, later on in the uh, in the early 2000s but that idea that that government and systems can kind of keep an idea going and even just that idea going back to what i was initially saying it's like animals are here put or put here by god it's like when you're young and you learn that idea just like if you'd said like teach them young like some some people yeah. are going to think like baloney with miracle whip is like that's normal so they'll be socialized to it and they'll yeah. be like that's my comfort food like a comfort idea that I think can help people short circuit their thinking about it is like, oh, animals are like a pair or animals. Animals are something that are grown on the planet for us. Yeah. And that kind of human centric idea that everything is there for us to consume. How it's systems are going to hold pla- things like that in place until there's an economic reason to not hold it in place. Like mm-hmm. the, the growth of the plant based industry and plant based restaurants, which you're such a um, forerunner in. But that idea that all of that stays in place because it's convenient for economics and there's all of these different ways that people get taught that eating animals is is fine it's no big deal but it's people like you or like the people in youth of today or the people in earth crisis or instead who wrote these songs that literally changed thousands and hundreds of thousands of people thinking because they're like never had experienced someone saying it in that way or those authors that you were reading yeah and that idea of like, if you see something's wrong and you really look into it and you really feel it, you should talk about it and you should do something about it. You should start a restaurant. You should start a band because that idea of leadership and really, I don't mean taking an obnoxious stand because even listening to your story where it's like, well, maybe one day a week you can eat like this. So I don't mean an obnoxious stand and being like, fuck you if you don't believe what I'd say, but more of a like, hey, the more you know, the more you can make an informed choice. So, so much of what stood out to me about your story is like, it's like, although you didn't grow up with punk and hardcore, your story is like the punkest story. Cause you're like, <laughs> when, like, when the chef walked out and you're like, oh no, I'll be fine. That's like, to me, yeah. the punkest thing. You're like, uh, now I'm the chef. Yeah. It was a little, um, it was interesting because that night, so we, I, I, and my best friend from high school, well, it was a good friend in high school and we'd traveled together. And I said, oh, start this with me, you know? And she's like, okay. 
So we were both just like, uh, and she wasn't the cook at all part. You know, I was in there would help him for lunch. So I'd go in and make all the stuff, the bread every day. And so, and he, uh, when he reacted and left this or that night, it's like, okay, we have to close tonight. Like, what are we going to do? I just remember like freezing, like, oh my God, I just, you know, put all my money into the stove I bought. And so that night we got a phone call. It's like, okay, we'll answer it. You know, we have to tell people we're closed. And um, the night before, there's a, Steve Chase was a big designer in homes out here, interior mm -hmm. designer, and very well respected and helped a lot of designers up and coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this little restaurant had, these people started coming into it. And um, one of the people he brought, he brought in a group one night. It's like, oh, Steve Chase came in. Yeah, I'm just like 29. Like, oh, cool. And he brought in Martina Navratilova and this whole team. She was in town for a tournament. And uh, the year before, actually, I had, hadn't met her, but she'd eaten the food because I got a concession <laughs> that we got kicked out of because, anyway, it, the tennis game it was a big mm. tennis match. And they used to play the men's and then the women's. And so we were supposed to have this food booth because it was local and the local person liked us and we need healthy food. I go, yeah, tennis players always like healthy food. So we get this little, we're supposed to have a food concession stand. And Hyatt, Grand Champ Hyatt comes in and buys the hotel from the, the private owner that had it. Hyatt sees all, I guess, sees the numbers of what the, they had made. And Hyatt tells me after we we're ready to go, and I'd been cooking for like two months. I'd rented a little kitchen, was freezing stuff. And had this is my first, this is before the restaurant, okay? Yeah. My first restaurant. The, that we're okay, we're freezing all this food, we gotta get ready. I had this plan, I'd never done this before. And they tell us, you can't be here. I'm like, what? Again, like everything's in this freezer. I've been planning this my whole life. Like everything I have is into this. And here they say, you can't do it. And I was just mortified. So we got them somehow to say, okay, you can be here, but you have to have $2 million insurance. I didn't know what that meant, which is normal. But so I went to like some insurance place. Go, like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, whatever, 30 bucks. Oh, okay. So I learn again along the way. And, but you can be at the entrance. We have some table. They were giving out all the free stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had this little table. Sure enough, Martina's coach found us. That was the year Martina Navratilova went, uh, you know, she's number one tennis for so many years. Uh, she went vegetarian for sports performance reasons. Mm -hmm. And her coach found our little stand at the end and bought meals every night, every day there. But I never met her, but we were like, cool, at least Martina got the food. Opened the little restaurant with, the, uh, the, we made enough money to, uh, by the stove in the uh, in the refrigerator for the restaurant. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but we did it. So that come forward a year, and the tennis tournament's back, and this wonderful man, Steve Chase, we started getting all these like cool people coming, brings in a whole party with Martina and everyone. And I remember going to the table and saying, one of the dishes that she we'd had at the games, uh, I had on the menu there, and I said, oh, and Martina, this actually is what we had. She goes, you got, you were the one, <laughs> and every day. She brought people in for lunch. She wore T-shirts on the court. But then the chef walks out, and I'm, like, mortified. We get a call. It's Steve Chase. They want some food. They want it delivered. They want to eat in. I'm thinking, this is perfect. We're closed, and I can put that together. So it showed me that I could do this. Mm -hmm. And one, I thought of Martina. I thought, oh, my gosh, all those tournaments. How many? What do you do? You get up and you do it again. It was mm -hmm. just, it was almost like that moment that, for some reason that that 
personality was there. Like, number one, what do you do when you lose? You do it again, you know? And so we packed up all this food, took it over, said hi to everyone, dropped off the food. And, and I knew it was going to be okay. But that was another lesson learned as to what do you do? You just go. And I, again, there's always something you'll see or read or find out. Usually something opens up for, for you magically that gives you a little inspiration to kick you over that edge when you think it's over. Can I speak to that thinking yeah. it's over moment? Yeah. Um, when I started Cadence, uh, I'd been working for another company for a long time. And I was just never meant to work for someone else. I, I always had to be. Like, yeah. my destiny was always to be my own boss, but I didn't know that. I, I always kind of thought that I, I was going to like tuck into someone else's company. And so my earlier life, I'd been a therapist and uh, worked as a therapist for 10 years doing mental health and addiction work. And then I started doing coaching work. And I worked for someone else for, for about five years and really was like dedicated. I thought the company was um, poorly run would be the kindest way that I could say it. And I, I also felt the way the company was positioned in the marketplace was inaccurate. Like the, the, way it, the way it positioned itself, I didn't feel was a true representation of what we did. I worked in that company and came from the mindset of like, hey, I, I disagree a lot with a lot of what's going on in the company culture, how it's being run, how we do our business, and also the services. But I think there's something cool here, and I want it to be cool. And I'm explaining it like I was such a wonderful person. I was, like, challenging and difficult and, like, you know, would push back on ideas. And I felt that not – I'm centering myself, like, being the hero of the story, and that's not where I want to go with it. It's more that in the time that company – became a better version. And I'm not sure how it is now, but throughout all that time, the company through a lot of people trying to make it a better company became a better company. But anytime that anyone tried to push on the boss or the company culture, it would always be like, well, you guys don't know. You're not business people. You'd understand. You know, it was always like really dismissive. Like we, your betters know. Yeah. And I'm just the kind of personality that's just like going to push it to the max. Like, no, 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 I disagree with this. So one day, you know, I'm like kind of steps from partner or part, being a partner in the company. I'm having serious misgivings about it, heavy misgivings. And I have this very tough conversation with the owner of the company. And it was in a time of my life that was very difficult. And I I shared with this person that I was in this really, really tough spot uh, personally. And two weeks later, unceremoniously, brutally fired over the phone. And I didn't have 20 years in this industry. I had five years in this industry and I'd been a therapist before that. And I remember thinking, I was in such a low point in my life. I was like, what am I going to do? I felt like just when you said like that kind of first breakup, I was yeah. like, my life is over. I actually remember thinking my life is over right now Yeah. because I'd been in this bad spot. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's, I thought the life is over that, uh, that that's the worst spot. And I remember thinking, I got two choices right now. I either do what the person who just fired me thinks I'm going to do, which is go into a cave and curl up and, and just die or go back to being a therapist or kind of like crawl somewhere and just kind of hopefully like yeah. figure it out. Or I bet on myself and I go as hard as I possibly could. Uh, so I got off the phone, I got fired and uh, I just, I was in a state of shock. Couldn't believe it. Cause again, I just, it was just a very vulnerable moment in my life. And I got up, I wouldn't shave my head, took a shower, and I just started calling people. 
And basically, I was just totally honest. I was like, hey, I just got my ass fired. <laughs> I just got fired. Uh, and that means I've started my own company right now. And, you know, this is if you guys ever want to do business with me, this is where you can find me. And I didn't outright ask people to, to, to come with me because that's solicitation. But basically, I was like, I started my own business. This is what it, or I didn't actually even have a name because people are like, what's it called? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> How, what do you charge? I have no idea. <laughs> But I, I just called and called and called. I called a ton of people and was like, this is where you can find me if you ever want to do business. And within a year, we were so busy that I had to hire a bunch of people. And now seven years later, we're, we're finally like we're a real deal global company. We work all over the world. But that idea, thank Yay. you. Thank you. Well, and it's just like Makes when you feel good. Yeah. When you said that the chef walked out, because what was it and how that felt like a breakup? The core of that, I think you could almost say is like, well, I'm not the chef. The chef just left. And you're like, well, I will. I am the chef now. I had been trained by this leader, this business owner, who I felt was a pretty, pretty awful person to work for. Um, I had a really, really negative experience with, the, with this person. I'd been trained that I don't know business. I don't know how to develop business. I don't understand a P&L. That the leadership space requires real expertise. And I just, I'm so lucky to work in this company. Like, you're so lucky. And I just remember it was like, either I believe what this person has tried to train me and everyone else in this company to feel we're all dependent on them and their brand, or I realized that they were actually dependent on us and I can go and do my own thing. And a big dialogue in that company yeah. had always been, thank you, the big dialogue in that company had always been everyone who'd ever tried to go out on their own failed. No. You know, I went out um, and I did my thing. And I think the thing that I'd encourage anyone here is like when you have that like first heartbreak, like <gasps> moment. I love what you said when you go through the eye of the needle, you can never go back. It's different. You bet on yourself 100% of the time. That's what you do. And even from the beginning, you kind of, for sh that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's what's going to change it. You're either going to not do it or you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, then you'll be back in some pattern that, you know, maybe not yet, you know, there's hope, there's always something, but that, that is it. And then I think on my end too, the lessons were the same, just steeper, yeah. you know? So as I went forward in my path with whatever restaurant or a business partner or, you know, these things, when these people, you know, when things come around and you like, yeah, they try to, it's exactly it though. That manipulation of being less than yeah. is very strong out there in, in corporations, in businesses. And that's where I got tagged a couple more times. <laughs> the story gets longer as you get older. But it's kind of cool because the tag was that I thought I needed help in these certain areas, you know? So I would either bring in a partnership, something that I wasn't comfortable with. You know, I was a biology major. I was a business major. I didn't know these. Oh, I wish I had time to do all of that and then be ready to go out in the world. Well, you're, it's never going to happen. Uh, Gandhi was also a quote that I read once that I really liked. I liked Gandhi. I liked his autobiography, if anybody has a chance to read it, because it's just like that guy would make a mistake. He was pretty strong. He just never went back. But he'd make the mistakes, and he'd just kind of go, okay, that didn't work. Next, next. and that's. But he said something like, if you don't know where you're going, this isn't a quote, if you know where you're going, if you know where you'd like to be, but you don't know how to get there, just keep going along your path and it will be shown to you along the way in some 
so many words. And it's like, that's kind of it. The energy starts and the places things fall into place. So there's no bad experience. Like these guys were, you know, assholes, you know, it's like, yeah, but you know, I needed that asshole to kind of, cause maybe I'm a little headstrong here and I, or I was not strong enough thinking well enough about myself, but that I'll always be where some little doubt or something you have. And so every time I've done that, brought in someone or gave someone a little, you know, position where I felt less than, boom, knocks it out. Then I realize, oh, you know, I can hire a consultant. I can, you know, I can, uh, you know, I find out that information. And now we're in such an information age, you know, I could find it, try it myself first, you know, and then there's always a fear. What if I lose everything? Oh, well, you might anyway, <laughs> like with totally. somebody else. So totally. that's, that's the risk also that I think is um, you have to not care about, you have to be motivated enough or like enough what you're doing and know it enough that trust enough in some sort of a guide, whether you want to call it spiritual, yourself, some, some feeling has to come from somewhere. And if you don't all have it, you know, where can you find that? And it might be a good friend. It might be someone that believes in you, someone that can just keep telling you it's okay. Yourself, spiritual experience, you know, but that's the good warning. So if there's a warning to give to people or something, not a warning, but something, you know, when you feel it, you always know it. I didn't trust my intuition a couple times and thought, well, is it an opportunity? And I just don't know this. I don't understand this part of the business. And, uh, but it never felt right. Damn it. Why didn't I listen? And then the other one is that thing you will feel smaller than you, you won't be given the information because you don't know that you don't need to know that, or you're not smart. You know, either it's assumed that that wasn't your thing, you know, so they don't, so, and you just kind of go with it. But um, don't let that happen, folks. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or like, just I, know it's okay if it is. You know, it's going to work out. Yeah. Well, I mean, one way or the other, I, I you know, it's kind of hazardous advice to give to people, but I'm a firm believer in it. Believer in it. Um, if you think you, if you think you've got something in you, um, or that you do, that is going to really resonate with people, bet on yourself 100 percent of the time. Yeah. Now, the danger, of course, in that is sometimes maybe someone thinks they have something and they don't, but I, I just say it's, you'll never, you might regret trying it and failing. You might regret trying and failing, but if you live a life where you never try it and you never test yourself like that, there's a bigger chance that I think you'll regret it. Well, and I don't think it's ever failure because something's going to come out of that that's going to push you in some other direction. It might be something you weren't even thinking about, but you won't know it until you do what you got to do, you know. Uh, that's a great, so that's a great point. for sure, it's just like, like, you know, so, might be a big <laughs> like this, but it's coming. Yeah. And you'll learn something from it. Oh, yeah. You know, you might cry a lot. <laughs> you might like <laughs> dig a hole there. and go, okay, I need to do this for a day or two, but you just do come out. Totally. It's okay. Um, so let's talk about going from that initial first spot that you had yes. to establishing native foods. Yes. So tell us about that. Well, that initial first spot was interesting because it was small. My dream was, you know, not just one, but it was always this, since I had that piece of tempeh and I was drawing those little pictures mm -hmm. to have you know, things on every corner, Starbucks started doing it. My thing was, well, if Starbucks can do it, three, and, you know, one on every corner, there's three corners left, right? Yeah. So there's room for one more. So I still had this somewhere in me going for it. Um, 
So I'm in Palm Springs that this would be great. This concert would be great in LA on Melrose, you know, like that's what was happening then. Melrose was like the spot. All these restaurants were opening up cool. And, you know, didn't matter that I didn't have a lot of, I'd worked in restaurants or that I'd not really been a chef for a long time. I was going to go for it. You know, I'm like, I don't, and that's what's great about youth or when you're younger, you know, like you've got that energy. You can get pounded a few times. So all the young people listening, go get pounded. <laughs> it's like surfing. You'll get that big wave at some point. An opportunity came. So this little, the place I rented in Palm Springs, like this time now, the, the ownership, it was part of a little restaurant in like an old hotel. And it was like, I don't know, riffraff. Real old school vibe. Real old school <laughs> vibe. And then this little, it used to be like some cool little place in downtown Palm Springs where people would stay and had a little coffee shop, you know. But now it's in this transition. And Palm Springs wasn't doing so well. The north end of Palm Springs was just cut downtown. It was like, meh, t-shirt shops. And it was a slumpy there at time for a while, late 80s, early 90s. So it's like 1990. And uh, here we are. This little restaurant, and I'm always thinking oh, it'd be great in LA. But okay, it was. And the nice thing about locally too is like people were nice to because you knew people in town. They'd yeah. come in and say, "Oh, the kids, you know, we got to support them." So then some customers walk in, family of six, mm -hmm. developers in the uh, uh, Redondo Beach area of LA, and they're like, "The whole family's vegetarian mm -hmm. forever. You got to open this in my new shopping center." I'm like, "Okay." And it was called Native Foods at, the, at this point. No, this is still called Empty Plate. Okay, still so, Empty Plate. So yeah, we're not to Native Foods yet. So this, so that second one. So now, rebuild the whole thing again. The lease was a short lease. I didn't know. I just took a year lease, um, and I thought this is the opportunity. And he put in the kitchen. I said, look, I don't have any money. So if you want to build a kitchen, then you'll always have it as a kitchen for somebody else if it's not us. And so he did it. You know, and they put in this kitchen and uh moved to the beach didn't have any money they they let us cook like i cooked lunch for the office while we were waiting to open and then they'd give us money so i like okay i can make rent while i'm living over there big change just went because it's like we're one step closer to melrose you know redondo was a little conservative still it wasn't quite but always there were people that liked there was always a group from palm springs palm springs people were super sad that one year we made quite an impact so now we're, some people would come and visit us there. Because you, you'd close the, close closed the spot it completely, here to Yeah, close it there. The lease was up. Mm -hmm. And then the roots were going in the pipes. And then the people were making crack in the back. And I just thought, you know, we've got this wonderful opportunity. Brand new shopping center, brand new thing. Let's do it. And so then that kind of recession hit. Um, the, you know, early 90s little recession hits. And rent's going to double, which we took the first year knowing. And I'm like, I'm a little nervous, you know? It's like, can we get a little in it? And we're upstairs and all the businesses next to us shutter. Like it's a brand new center, but these places are not opening. And people aren't going upstairs, which I learned is the other rule. Never go upstairs unless you're California Pizza Kitchen. The time was like, people don't travel. And, but we did, it was slow. We were fine, you know, paying the bills. But when rent was going to double, I was getting a little nervous. And I still, I was one, I was still looking for like, uh, Melrose or something. It's a little smaller, you know, where there are more people. And, um, and it was that time that somebody came to us wanting to buy the lease, wanting the lease, that, that had success uh, operating restaurants upstairs. It wasn't California Pizza Kitchen. And I said, you know what, let's, let's take it. And it was that time my business partner and friend, uh, her mom 
got ill and it was just a good time to and I was kind of contemplating that partnership was like getting a little toxic you know and I said ah, let's just take a little break and that's when I took a break went to the desert and I came back to the desert and just started making kept making tempeh and selling it to my friends in the downtime so I'm st and, and then I was approached by someone oh god there was that whole story that came to me and said they want to do a natural food store with the restaurant. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's good. But they were getting the investors that they had hoped for. I'm like, okay, I'm just still, you know, living, making tempeh, doing some classes here, you know, at my house that I was renting. And I thought, hmm. And then my good friends um, said to me, you know, I was at my doctor's appointment, my chiropractor, and who was vegetarian. And this woman came in, she has a lot of money and she just wants to do something. So I said, okay, so what do I do? The cottage Meyer, oh, really, you wanna do that? Cool, well, let me show you this plan that these other guys had that they invited me on, but they couldn't find Kat. And so sure enough, she says, okay, we're gonna do this. And it is like the weirdest thing I've ever been in because what I realized, it seemed to me now that maybe she was trying to do something outside of her marriage to kind of create a life for herself. But I didn't know it at the time. I think, oh, there's this great lady that wants to do stuff and is investing. And then, it, oh my gosh, we'd have these meetings and it'd be like, I have to go now. And then she never agreed. And then she'd bring in more and more people. Like then someone, oh, I didn't know baking enough or I didn't, then I was gonna be the chef. Then I didn't know enough and bring in more and more people. And it was so toxic and that she'd leave crying because her husband would call and she'd have to run to wherever he said, nothing would get done. It was just, and I didn't know what to do. So I said, oh my gosh, and we'd sign these contracts. And the husband was a big developer, you know, and he was just like, whatever, you know, I mean, I don't think he was paying attention. She would always say, my husband says this, and my husband says that, I'm like, okay. So uh I just thought I was just a mess. And she was point, pinning people against each other a little bit in the group. And it's like, whoa. And the people I brought on were like, it was just not good. They were like trying to get ahead and would do anything to say I was wrong and everybody else was, it was just not, not. It cool. was crazy. It was crazy. So I was like, oh my gosh, I signed this agreement. And this guy, like the attorneys are the people that he knows from his country club, but it, were Michael Jackson's attorneys. And it's like, I've got nothing. I'm just like, you know. So the beauty was I had nothing. Yeah. Okay. So I had to remember that. So when you're starting, if you have nothing, got nothing to lose. So I think somebody said, well, you better go to an attorney. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. So I found this woman attorney and she listens to what I have to say. And she goes, look, looks like, you know, you've got this kind, it was a non-compete thing where I couldn't do anything like any, Every county except one in this California was named. Like, oh my God, you know, I wouldn't be able to do anything. So she says, you're going to have to go in and you're going to have to find a minute where you admit fault and start crying. And I walked out of there going, what the hell kind of advice was that? It was like $150, which back then it was like, that was everything I had. Like, oh my God, where am I going to get the money to pay her now? And I have to find a moment where I, I admit I'm wrong and I start crying. So I go on and the lady calls a meeting with everybody. Okay, this and that. And this one guy who I thought was being a jerk a lot, I said, I roll, he says something like, well, Tanya, you should be doing the, you know, he wanted to be like her psychic, but he'd come in just talking. Like, and I said, and I kind of rolled my eyes for a second. I'm like, oh my gosh, in the meeting. And she looked at me and she said, you know what, Tanya? I think all this tension in the group is because of you. 
And that, which the attorney said to me, I was like, and I said to her, you know what? I think you're right. And at that time, I couldn't help myself, but it just exploded tears. It was like all this tension stuff. And it was like, this is like the playbook she told me what to do. And I was like, how is this ever going to happen? And it's happening. And I'm crying. And she starts crying, like snotty nose, like snot. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. So this is like, okay. I said, thank you. And then we had a meeting. And I just, after that, and I felt like I hit a core too, because she was doing this for whatever. It wasn't. You know, everything was wrong about that whole picture. Yeah. And I broke the code and like, I'm out. So I had a thing. She goes, come meet the office. I go, no, no, let's meet some, you know, on her term. And oh, I said, we're going to. So I got slammed off of everything. They, they let you out. Yeah, they let me out. So Because they, they're like, you're the toxic one. Well, yeah, I had to say, well, then she let me out. Whoever it was, her group of husband's <laughs> attorneys, they didn't even know what was going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was just like, and I was like, oh my gosh. Now they're opening this marketplace and all this you know kind of my dream mm -hmm. there now i have to walk away from again i'm sitting there while everybody else is doing it i got nothing and i walked down this little corridor in the back i just oh i know it was everybody's going to work they're getting ready for this big opening and i'm out and i got nothing and uh no severance you know i'm thinking oh shit so the phone rang and it was the local newspaper doing a subscription drive I'm like, okay, I'm home now. I might as well read the paper in the morning. I get the first day it comes and I'm reading and I go through like businesses for sale pop up. I like to always look at lost and found because the pets, I'm looking to help. And it's like, business opportunity, restaurant for sale, $25,000. like, or $20,000 or something. I'm like, well, you know, I started to learn that what you ask for isn't really what you're going to get. So let me just go see. So I go down to this little place. And that turned out to be the first Native Foods. But I go there and the guy that had it just was a dream to have a restaurant. And he took on some partners and it was a father, a mother and son. And they left him with all this little restaurant set up with the equipment. It's in the back of the shopping center. And, and I said, you know, and now I've quite helped open a few things in the short amount of time from my two empty plate restaurants to this lady's our dream or whatever there. And so I thought, well, let's see. So I meet the guy and I, he says, okay. And I says, well, I really don't have any money. Could I do like a payment plan? And he just wanted to get on the lease, get right out of the lease. I'm like, okay. So then I have to meet the property owners, which was a trust. And it was this one elderly man that ran it. And he says, well, he goes, we looked and you really don't have any credit. Because it's like, and I was like, I remember the moment exactly where we were standing. I'm like, well, no, but well. What do you want to do? I said, oh, what would you like to do about it? I just right back at him. And he says, well, I guess we'll give you a chance. <laughs> so it was like, okay. So that became Native Foods. That was my first little thing in the back of a shopping center. And it was uh, just me and my friend came in and washed some dishes while it was getting started. And uh, that was the day too. I said, gee, I'm running on. I don't have a lot of money. I just had like thousand dollars i could buy the food it was really down to that because i needed opening food I'm like sure and my good friend walks in who's she was a little older she was always like a mentor to me and she kept she was spend season east coast west coast she walks in and she goes what do you need and i go a thousand dollars she goes okay and she wrote a check and it was just funny because i just said it and i was like oh there's the food for the beginning of the restaurant so 
that's how that worked. And then, you know, my sights were always set on, on growing it. And what do you think about kind of like positive thinking and just kind of envisioning something and then it and then things happening as a result? And the reason I'm asking this is so much of your story is like, and I kind of just thought it was going to go this way and someone walked in the door. You know, and, and as I tell the story, I mm -hmm. forget all those things mm -hmm. because it's just you're in that moment of it has to work, you mm -hmm. know. And there is no doubt in your mind that it's not. Mm -hmm. You can't entertain that thought. Mm -hmm. So I don't. So, yeah, I, I don't know. There is. And it's all about that. It's mm -hmm. just energy moving. You don't let the doubt in. And then it forms, mm -hmm. you know. And it's kind of magic happens. Um, back to when we were building Empty Plate the first time. We had a guy come in. I was like, okay, we're going to put benches in. And we need somebody and help. So I hired this guy. And he was totally addicted to alcohol. We found out. And my good friend, this mentor person, I told you that later, $1,000, she was in AA, and I learned a lot. She goes, oh. And he would start the job and leave, just completely leave. And I couldn't get him to finish anything. And he smeared the paint up one day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. How do we get him to stay? She goes, you need to not let him go for a break. So we got, like, a nice chest with beer and say, hey, want to? And then he would stay to finish. Mm -hmm. And then finally, like, it was done. He left, left his tools. I'm like, oh. Do we need this bar? And I'm like, and my friend was so anxious and nervous and could get so angry. What's gonna do? What are we gonna do? Freak out. And I said, you know what? Someone's just gonna walk in the door. I mean, that's all I could say. Okay. A day later, someone walked in the door. Some guy says, Hey, do you need any help with carpentry or anything? Passing through town and staying in that little divey hotel with his girlfriend who was pregnant and on their way through to Northern California or something from and had his tools and built us what we needed to finish. So these things, yeah, they happen. I I like. Oh I'm, no! Now I'm scaring myself <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> like I'm not like talking to you. Remember that? Remember that thing? Like the secret that yeah, was like. Yeah, right. I'm not talking about that. I'm not like in that. Yeah, that right. Kind of thinker, but like positive momentum, just putting yourself out there, getting stuff done, uh, and just being like, I'm just going to put this out there. I think. I have been surprised over and over and over again in my life where it's just like, I'm going to just take this leap. Yeah, I'm just going to do this thing. And I'm just going to see who, who's out there who's going to meet me. And over and over and over again. Like that first day that I started Cadence, and I didn't even know what it was called. <laughs> I, I just called a bunch of people. And within a month, I had like a really well-functioning business. I was making tons of money. Within a year, I was hiring people. Within two years, we were like a for our industry was doing, we're doing really well. But it's not just that. Anything I've done, my mom always kind of laughs because my mom is a, I don't want to say an anxious person because she's like tough as nails, my mom, like really tough. But she's she's like more of a like nightmare scenario thinker and then yeah. she'll still do it. Right. Where I'm more of a like, oh, of course this is going to work. And she always laughs. She's like, you just, ever since you were a little kid, just take these leaps of faith and just do things. That's because over and over again, whenever I've done something like very much like your story, like someone just walks in and is like, hey, can I help with this thing? Yeah. And I just I firmly believe if you like going back to the idea of betting on yourself, it's like put it out there, see what happens. If you take the leap of faith, someone might be there like kind of leaping the other direction, you know, and, like you can yeah. you meet. Yeah. And again, I don't want to go into this whole like the secret thing, but I do believe in that idea of like if you create opportunities for people to help you people will generally help you. Yeah. And thereby hangs the tail. Like the little caveat there is that 
once you start doing good things, then you have to really be discerning mm -hmm. because if you're, you know, optimistic and knowing things always work out, then you isn't an opportunity, you know, because then the people come and this is where you have to be discerning with those kinds of people that have other motives that are very big in the corporate world out there that really, um, Anybody can be just a cardboard box that has to fit the hole so it's for the next step. And it, so it has nothing to do with really who you are or what you've done or what your plans are. It's more, does that fit in the space that we need for the next building block yeah, yeah, yeah. For, totally. for that? And so then that, that kind of became one of my lessons was, oh, well, you know, so when people come to you with money and, you know, you get all these offers, they start to come and want to be part of something that's good, which is great. But that's where I think the discernment needs to come because you can, you know, get on the wrong boat. But again, it's never the wrong boat because it always shows you something even better. But, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I want to get to that idea about investors in a little bit because yeah. I know I, that's one of my favorite conversations, which is weird for me to be saying at this stage in my life. But I like I like talking about growing yeah. Small businesses and the big businesses. Yeah. But let's go back to, uh, you've got native food. And one of the things that I just love about what you're saying is like, even from the initial point, you're like, well, Starbucks has got one corner, there's three others, but not just here, all over the country. You always had the idea of creating something with big reach. Yes. So you start native foods. How quickly do you start expanding to other, other restaurant spots? So I... Started Native Foods in 94, Palm Springs, 90, early 90, it was like January 96, because I remember I was trying to get it done by 95 that, so it was about a year, just a little over a year and a half that I started Palm Desert. And again, that was the attempt to have a second location. I thought, you know, it's close. I can drive to both of them, oversee it, see how that multiple store arises. I talked to my friends who were in, uh, you know, took pump, uh, companies public who got into stock markets. And, and they said, well, you know, you need to have like, you know, whatever, it's just five, three to five, you know, before, you know, you start to, because I have no idea about anything. So I just know that, okay. Three, three and five. About three to five locations okay. before you can start taking investors. And maybe mm -hmm. there's, you know, some public demand or, you know, to go public, you're going to need 10. So it's like, well, how do I get there? So again, I just kept going. So I thought Palm Desert, a little closer. Uh, so that was about four years later, became Westwood Village. That was my branch to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a phone call about this little vegetarian restaurant. And said, you know, do you ever think about opening in LA? You know, I think you have um, this little restaurant's going to be available. And so drove down to check it out. And it so they reached out, out to you. Somebody that sold them advertising. Mm -hmm. And they said, they're not going to advertise in this little vegetarian coupon book he did with vegetarian yes what was his name he'd come into the palms come into the desert mm -hmm. and would and i even did the cookbook i mean the coupon book even though i was in palm springs when all of them were in la because i wanted to be part of that community i like i'm into the cause you know yeah. and so he calls one day and says hey there's this restaurant they're not going to renew their coupon because they're going to closing or they're looking I'm like okay and so that became the first Westwood Los Angeles location uh, that opened in 2000. Y2K uh, survived it. <laughs> and um, and then a few years later, so then I think that was 2000, 2004 or five, another four years, um, 
I get a call from the landlord in Orange County. He says, I'd like you to see this concept. We're looking for something like what you're doing I think would fit well in this center. It was a lifestyle center, certain age group. It was yoga, bicycle shop, like a healthy kind of a shopping center. And that became the Costa Mesa location. Mm -hmm. And then Elisa Viejo was probably a couple of years later after that to just try to build another footprint. Costa Mesa store was doing well. And that was able to sort of fund a little bit the um, Elisa Viejo opening for another spot. And that's, um, I got up to five mm -hmm. at that time. So you got up to five in less than 10 years? Uh, yes. Two, yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I guess. And I think back, it's like, what was I thinking? I don't, you know, this is the other thing. Mm -hmm. If you, <laughs> from the very first restaurant, even yeah. I thought, boy, if I knew what I was going to have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, it's it's good not to know too much because like it's a little daunting. Like I did all that. Like that was a lot of work. That was a lot of you know. Well, it's I'm exhausted. You know, I'm but. just thinking of scaling up a business where there's like 30 employees and there we all work remote and like yeah. the level of work that I have to do is crazy to make that happen. Yeah. So I can't imagine geographically dispersed multiple locations, multiple physical locations. It's massive. Question for you though. When I say quick success, I don't mean it in a cheap way, but it's like relatively rapid success in like a decade. They've got five, you've gone from having zero locations and how am I going to pay this lawyer $150? And can I get on a, a payment plan to pay you off to get this oh, first right, location? Right, right, right. Going from that to five locations. Is it because there was a market that already existed that was waiting for you? Or is it because you created a market? And people are like, damn, yeah, that's amazing. So were there, was there just like people waiting for something like this to exist? Or did you create that by building this? Both, I would say, because there was always pockets of crazy vegetarians somewhere, you know, that, and I, those would fuel, those would always be the beginnings, you know, that would come, that wanted to eat a little healthy, mostly women at the beginning. My father would come into the restaurant in Palm Desert, my first little native food thing, because this is like the woman's restaurant. Because they couldn't bring their husbands, you know, it's very, you know, because the husbands had to have a steak, right? So they would come for lunch, the women, would, and you would look around and the whole place was with women. And I think I always thought back to uh, Faith Popcorn, the Popcorn Report. Dear, mm -hmm. She was great. She was a leading economic trend visionary person that big companies would hire. But her big thing was that women, you know, make the choices for the family, especially during for food and what have you. And. And really by marketing to women, you, anyway, I didn't intend to, they just, but that was what happens. The women like to eat a little healthier. Salads were an okay thing. Uh, they, you know, always perceive vegetarian as salads. So they come in and get something really good and then they try more. So there is the market. LA, of course, always had a market a little bit. There was always some weird hippie places around. Uh, the beach, I grew up going to Mother's Market when I was 18 mm -hmm. in or Orange County and Mother's there was always like the surfer crowd. Everybody had smoothies and vegetarian was not crazy weird. Um, and people would go to those places and other friends, you know, they weren't, it was busy for that. So I knew that there was a market, but it hadn't been done in the way I wanted to show people to do it. So it was very, you know, why I was doing it also was that most of the food I had was kind of the mother's burritos, the, uh, the spikes of seasoning. Um, maybe they were a little bland and needed stuff or you had to melt cheese on everything to make it taste good. Mm -hmm. So I was coming in with that fresh tempeh and that house-made seitan. And I wanted to kind of, what I'd been doing 
the first restaurant. Like I wanted to kind of blow people away. Like what? You know, honey. <laughs> I remember first little empty plate restaurant I'd have little old Jewish ladies from New York coming in and I had tempeh scallopini. I'd thinly slice it with a mushroom salt. And I'd say, try this thing. Okay. Honey, Terry, try the veal. It tastes like veal. They think it was veal, you know, just because again, of the slice and the, the flavor. So there was, uh, it's both for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I had to show them how good it could be. Yeah. And that would open it up to not just the mother's crowd. And again, not just the hippie crowd. It would open it up to more, which ties into, you know, my whole design team and who I still work with the family of that with Chef Tanya's Kitchen now. But um, when I opened my first little restaurant, Empty Plate, these guys came in. I had like these cool people that were coming in. They'd heard about the food and everybody. And they came in and he goes, these lights are horrible. <laughs> and there were the patio lights outside. They had a, and they were like these bright, like uh, those gassy kind of super bright, would light up. And the restaurant had a big window in front where the seats were. He goes, these lights are horrible. We've got to do something about that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and that was a wonderful friendship that extended into my other idea was like, I want vegetarian food. I want it to not feel so hippie grungy. You know, I wanted to look cleaner near Starbucks was doing it with like the couch, you know, things look clean. And I had been once somewhere in Hawaii, I'll never forget where this waiter said, oh, you're vegetarian. Like, How come people and vegetarians don't look like they're serving food or work with vegetarian restaurants don't look serving food like, like that dirty grimy thing, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like a barefoot or something. I'm like, oh, we got to change that image. And luckily those guys had said to me, and the restaurant was clean and neat, just we painted fresh colors, it was simple. But when they said that, so the beginning of Native Foods after that, when that time Native Foods started, uh, we started to really look good. And you know, they had the Chicago, you know, they're an architectural digest and all that stuff. And they're like, we can do this. We're tearing out a house. It's got some extra remnant material. My first Native Foods was actually, everything was from these million dollar homes that were getting redone. The countertops were broken up. We made cool countertops and they just, that artful eye, you know, was just, I learned about, wow, you know, trust people that know what they're doing for certain things, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so, um, so that we had to make them look good. So I knew I would get that other customer in there as well. They'd feel kind of comfortable that it wasn't, you know, grungy. Then we have this level of food. So I would get both. I'd get the vegetarians, like, you know, looking for grunge, not caring. I get the people that were like a little nervous about that grunge, welcoming them with something that looked a little cleaner and fresher and kind of modern and cool. And so there was this whole little layering going on. So it was both to answer your question. Can I tell you about the first time I went to a Native Foods? Yeah. So I, I grew up playing in, uh, in punk bands and touring all over the place. Oh, and, you did play in them too. And so yeah. you, and you'll know this just from your own life. It's like, Oh, we're going to Chicago, Chicago diner, got to go. Yeah, or I'm going right. to go here, got to go to that vegetarian right, place right, or that right. vegan place. And there's, you'd go to the ones where like, oh, this sucks. And then you'd go to the ones where the locals are like, this is the spot. And you'd yeah. go up, like, this is amazing. For example, Chicago diner. I remember the first time I went there, I was like, this is insane. And then I go back to Vancouver, BC. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. And Vancouver had at the time, you know, some decent stuff. Um, definitely there's like kind of like this legacy restaurant called the Nam that had been around forever. Um, but it's like, you know, not, not too many great options. And I just remember, you know, you go places and it's like, you almost don't know them from their 
Like you don't think of the Brooklyn Bridge. You think of like, what can I eat? What's the restaurant right. that I go to in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what's the place I go to in Manhattan? Yes. It was a cool way of knowing of knowing the country was through these like cool restaurants that you know from the locals. And it's like for these people who have these specific diets and there's this ethical thing. Yeah. The first time I went to a Native Foods is one in Southern California. Um, I, I, I wouldn't know to tell you the location is. But a friend of mine was like, hey, let's meet at Native Foods. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. He's like, oh, it's like a fast food place. And I could not. I There had been a kind of a short-lived version of that in Canada. Um, do you remember that brand, Eves? Yeah. Eves had tried to launch some kind of like uh, oh. fast foodish version okay. in Canada. I think it pretty quickly and dramatically failed because it was just like not the right time. Yeah. And all that. I went to this one in Southern California and I could not believe it. And it looked, it didn't look like like a vegetarian restaurant. It looked like a restaurant. And while it was like kind of put as fast food, it didn't feel like fast food. It felt like I was going to like a restaurant where the food was fast, the place was cool. All my friends are hanging out. There's like a ton of us there hanging out. And we're just having like an awesome time. And I just thought, there's no way, like, how can this be a real thing? And <laughs> I... I'm the first time that I remember reading your name or becoming aware of you as a, as a person was that time because I went and looked at something on the wall. Did you and maybe you still do? Um, did you sponsor like an elephant sanctuary or something? Yes, in the bath. Yeah, you probably saw it in the bathrooms. Yes, yeah. and I still, elephants are close to the so Yeah. I, I read this and Chef Tanya, and I was like, damn, this place has a chef. Like, an executive. <laughs> like I can't, I can't. This is amazing. Yeah. And I left and I was like, chef. Tanya, that's so wild. And it had suddenly it was not just like in my mind, it wasn't like, oh, that that local spot that was started by some punk or by some hippie that right. just it happened to be good that the locals that, that the locals know about and you happen to get to eat there once a year. I was like, oh, like a legit, legit business person started this and there's multiple locations and I could actually eat here often. And in fact, it could even maybe get up to where I live. I remember leaving there and just feeling super, super stoked about where veganism was going, the way the world was changing, but also like, huh, I wonder if the world, if there'll be like a vegan or plant-based kind of business boom at some point. And that wow, was like, really? and this was like, maybe it's somewhere, I'd say it was probably around 2008. Between 2008 yeah. and 2010 was when yeah, I would have gone yeah, to the first yeah, one. Yeah. It was a total... Uh, mind blower and then there's this like you know that kind of like mid I guess like maybe 2014-ish like boom like everything's plant-based yeah. all these restaurants all these brands all yeah. these things going on yeah um, so that was the first time I was ever that's aware a great, of you that, that thanks for that I kind of uh, yeah yeah you know you're going down your path and hear the stories and some that's sort of coalescing a little bit from here today yeah thank you well I get it's it it's a trip well yeah. I was just so stoked like they have a chef. <laughs> like, 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 it felt so legitimate. Way, yeah. um, all right. So you've built this like multi-location um, brand. Yeah. When, when do the investors come in? What, what happened next to that, that led to the eventual sales of, sale of Native? Uh, well, I was putting it out there a little bit. You mm. know, I had... Actually, I had a small group of investors that helped me get to Westwood. I put a little thing on tables and I thought, okay. And I uh, said, if anybody wants to invest. And I did um, small, I had like six people, you know, 
put in a little money and I found an attorney and we wrote it up and, uh, you know, we did the taxes every year and they didn't get anything for a while, <laughs> but you know, they were, it was like the love money, you mm -hmm. know? And, um, I was excited to be able to really be able to offer them something too, by, by growing it. So my, you know, that they helped me from the beginning that if we could grow it, I found a finance guy. I'm trying to remember how I found this guy, which wasn't a good ending either. Cause it was kind of, you know, they start to kind of tell you what do or wanted some equity for something. Again, giving it up before, you know, uh, and they don't really know the business, but it's, well, that's okay. They know the numbers part of it. And, you know, there was some validity. There's things I learned, but I'll never forget they had this theory uh, of that they, you know, with all the staff and how to keep that. It's like they went to school, so they're pulling out the book from school, whatever, U.S., whatever school it was. They hadn't done it yet. So I remember sitting with the whole kitchen crew and explaining this, like, five-page document to them about, you know, value creation. And, like, don't, they don't speak English, but it was something. And I'm like, this isn't really, this isn't, this isn't the way to do this, but okay. So anyhow, that was a little bit of a start to start to put the pro forma the next plan in place. And, uh, and so then that's when there was a couple groups. One group was quite interested and, uh, they went on to take former partner. They, I, I never quite knew what it was, but we had a meeting and I said, well, you know, I said, how can you help us? Or, and after that, they were like, thanks a lot, but never mind. And they were calling me like every day. This is what my mother was passing at the time. And, you know, we took her off food and water, and so we were waiting. And they still would call me, when can we get together? We're, and they would drop names, like, we're at the Bel Air, some big hotel. And, you know, we're here talking about how we're going to make Native foods really big. And I said, you know, I may just get through this. And, and I had a business partner at the time. I had taken on a partner back from Native beginning of Native foods that wanted out. And, you know, we were trying to come to a term. Mom's dying. You know, it's another squishy time in life. And I said, look. I really can't do anything until I make a deal with former with the partner to be a former partner. And I said, oh, you know, we'll buy him out. We'll do whatever, to, you know, just throwing it at me. And I'm like, can we just, you know what? I've got, I'd be happy to meet with you. I'm just, really, I'm sitting next to my mom right now. And I think sort of phased them. And so I went ahead with the meeting with them after she passed. And they're like, let's go to, do, you know, we want to do and just big words, big names. We're going to make all this just great. And I, I knew there were a little, you know, but again, I don't know who this person, who these people are going to be like that are going to come in anyway. So I knew something was a little off and I'd been around, you know, growing up. The other thing I did too, is my dad was a five-star major D for this country club, the one percenters. And I did private parties and I saw these people with gazillions who were very nice. And, and so when this guy's dropping names and telling me, oh, I'm driving this car and it breaks by itself. And. I, I totally saw he was trying to impress me because I realized all those people that from before, they never tried to impress. They, you never knew they had much. So when people talk about how much they have, it's always like a little warning sign. And so, and then my mom's saying they didn't seem to care, but I'm still continuing because my growth plan, and I'd like to see what they have to offer. So finally we have a meeting with them. And at the end of it, I get this phone call at five in the morning. You're a great gal. I'm at the airport, but I think we're going to go another way. Well, what they did was they took the former partner, took all my staff, and while this was going on, I had no control over it other than that 
I would pull up to my little restaurant in Westwood. They'd be sitting outside with the investors. Like he'd bring all these people. They were venture people. They'd worked with like Vilkin uh, back in the junk bonds days. These guys were just looking, you know, to create something and they wanted what they saw. It didn't matter. So that was my first lesson of like, whoa, they actually opened it saying they had the founder of Native Food. Uh, for the first year, I think it worked. And then they had the names of the food items were different. And that was um, kind of like, oh, well, then you're feeling like the shuffle up. Right now they're going on, it's just the same repeat. Oh, they're going on and doing my dream with my concept, basically calling it another name. What'd they call it? Uh, veggie Grill. Oh, that's Veggie Grill. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, oh, it's all Beef. legal. Beef. Yeah. yeah. So I, that, you know, I got, I remember seeing them a couple times saying, you know, is that how the big guys do business? And, if I may. Yeah. Native Foods is the superior of the two. Well, you know, it, it certainly was. During, for when I, you know, when I, era. yeah, when I was there, I, I know because I was making the food. And mm. so I had the Bali burger and then they put the Bali bliss burger like they knew that they could change the name a little bit. So they're creating a little confusion. And, you know, you have no recipes. Anybody can change a little something. It's the not Bali's a big deal. on these characters. Yeah. The Bali's on these characters. They live like that. <laughs> the worst they did with, I mean. The thing was, too, when you're starting a staffing, you know, and they they offered everybody like 50 cents more. And then you have like managers going, oh, I'm going to work for this grocery store somewhere. They all start leaving. And you're like, oh, and then you find out like, oh, they've all went over there because they got like 50 cents more an hour, which leaves you having to rehire, which is costly. And that was the worst part, I think, for me, because it was hard and it cost money, you know, and and time and energy. And it's like, whoa. And so, so they go on, start opening. They've got all this money and shiny new clothes. And here I am going, huh? Because they, they like blew up, blew up, like really expanded yeah. fast. Yeah. Well, they had, they, they know the game, you know, yeah. they just, it's all, they have the financing. Yeah. So money can do that. Yeah. There's also things it can't do. And that we should talk about. But um, well, what money can't, can't what, buy you love. And no, it's, what can it do? It, what can't it do? Yeah. Well, for one, there's, I, I learned that there's an energy, there's something besides the bottom line that can't be put into numbers. And that's like intention, intuition, and all that stuff and creativity, you know, that it doesn't buy. And that's where then they, they end up having to buy it, you know, the higher chefs. And they might get someone good that, that does good work. And that's good. That's how they do it. It can't, it can't buy like goodness. Nice. You can't be nice to people, but that's where it leaves off, you know, and it's like, okay. But it's interesting as we sit here, you know, Peter Max is watching us this print here mm -hmm. with says love. And I'm thinking Peter Max was like greatest vegetarian. They rescued the slaughterhouse cow and mm -hmm. great guy. But money can't buy you love. You just said, what can it buy? Uh, and it's true. But. Uh, sorry, do you mind if I just pause here for one second? Yeah. The reason I want to hit on that. Um, have you ever uh, tasted uh, or tried magical ba bacon grease? Yes. Um, my friend, I actually, I don't know that I ever tried it. I think we might have, but my friend got sent a jar of it. And, yeah. yeah. A friend of the show, a guy named Chris Callahan, who's Canadian, lives in uh -huh. Toronto, wanted it to exist. He was like, I just want something that tastes like this to exist. Like this. Yeah. Just made this stuff. And then, of course, made it better and better. It's the story. It's kind of yeah. like your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scaled up. And 
was doing it as like this is what he was doing as his living. And at one point started to see where the compromises he would have to make to go to the next space and how it was impacting his life. And he said something that I thought was so incredible when we were talking about kind of going to that next space yeah. with the business. He was like, listen, no judgment call on vegetarian or vegan brands that do this. He was like, but like when I was a kid, I wanted, I wanted there to be vegan food everywhere. And, I, and he's like, we've kind of achieved that, but it's in the hands of the people who also don't care about animal welfare or care about animals. He was like, these people don't want meat eater money. They don't want vegan money. They want all of the money. He's yeah. like, they have created an oligarchy where whatever you want, we will provide you. And he was like, I didn't want to be a part of that. And he scaled down his business and took a part-time job so he could just do his business the way he wanted to do it, stay a vegan-based company. He was like, money could, could have helped me do that. He's like, I could have sold my brand. I could have got investors. But money wouldn't. My goal is that everyone has access to vegan food, but that vegan food is traced ethically back to good sound business decisions. So I made my company smaller and I've never been happier. And it's a good point in my next endeavor, like watching that. But yes, I, I agree. There's a point where you know, nothing matters um, except that end game. And, and, and you see it. Um, the venture money is really... Um, you know, they'll take lives. Yeah, yeah. They, won't, they won't really care if you fell dead on the street. Um, whoever you are, you started it, did it, you had great intentions, you know, you're wonderful, nothing. And that is where, you know, um, I picked up a book, Good Friend. I went to visit my good friend's sister who really, you, you know, I just went to kind of take a chill trip. Mm -hmm. And saying nothing, but she said, she handed me this little book, Sociopath Next Door. <laughs> oh my God. Short read. I recommend every read it because yeah. I use those words lightly. Yeah. Sociopath, they're crazy, you know. And I mean, you're a therapist, so like, but without that training, this little book is a quick read, and you kind of get that, wow, it, people really like that. Mm -hmm. Like that cardboard box analogy. My friend who is, a, you know, so you're just a cardboard box, just a cardboard cutout. And I'm like, well, who thinks like that? Oh, there are quite a few people. And they seem to find themselves in these positions of corporations, venture, and it's, you know, I guess, and is this, is this the world we've created is, you know, in this corporate structure of, of big guys doing big things is the all important thing, the number at the end and how much stuff you have, you know, and I probably the battle people have waged since the beginning of time or something as we become more there's more stuff is it about the the story of stuff or george carlin on stuff the comedian like yeah pack it in your like what do you want you know and uh what is it you're looking for and if it's that goal like you did it you know for me it was always i want people to ch i just want to see a shift in what we're thinking and if it needs to be on every street corner for that reason not to be on every street corner you know I'll go snorkeling. <laughs> I'm fine with that too, and enjoying my pond in the backyard with the rescue turtles or something. But you know, I'm driven by cause or mission, and that's different than being driven by money in the bank. You know, because the way that I understood your idea of wanting to be on every street corner wasn't to get the, the money. 
it was to give what you went back to i can be i can be a choice i can be a choice for yeah. you is yeah. to give people choice because you care so much about animals true completely you know i'm here for the creatures the, the things that don't get to talk you know it could be this voice you know and also i'll cry i watched all that stuff you don't have to you just come and have a good meal with your family and friends and laugh and let's take it there you know but completely that was that's the intention um but then you know it has to be a business model that's successful totally. but why can't it not be doing both and that's the the argument so to speak you know can you also be successful and have good intentions do you have to, financially successful and have good intentions or what you perceive to be good intentions you know uh, and, you know, maybe these people think good intentions is, you know, I don't know. But there's definitely, um, for people like me or think like me, that you should be aware of that, you know, it could be a, a stumbling block or, you know, something that won't make you feel so good to be a part of. And then you'll know and you'll have to leave. Or so not I like your friend did, not choose to down, you know, there's... There's just got to do what feels right for you, whatever that is. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I want to get to, um, and, and, we'll, and I want to get to this in a few minutes, that idea of, um, you had mentioned in your conversation with Monica, speaking specifically about um, women in leadership and women in business yes. and scaling up their business. So I want to yeah. hit on that because that idea of something that's so deeply personal to you that you own, that's yours, and the tough choices you need to make about how to how to do it the way that matters to you. But let's stick with with native foods because I'm most excited to get to Chef Tanya's. That's yes, my right, that's where right, I want right, to go. Right, right, right. So okay. um, you have this split with a former partner and they go off in their direction. So what comes next? What makes native foods into this bigger brand that eventually leads to the sale? Well, that was um, again some people that had approached me before, many have. And they seemed serious this time. You know, they were in a position to, uh, you know, come in, um, like the idea. They were very good salespeople to me, whatever you want to do, Tanya, what, whatever your hopes and dreams and visions are for this. You know, we can, we can do it. You know, we've done it successfully with other businesses, not food businesses, but, you know, we know what to do. Um, we can do this. And so that was all that was going on at the time. You know, again, we'd had that other little, the next little recession hit, you know, and uh, that was, you know, late 2000s. So things, people were like, you know, spaces were becoming available. It's like, gee, this is a good opportunity, you know, to get some spaces that have opened up that are vacant and, uh, you know, some capital would certainly help, you know, um, and people were looking for jobs, you know, because they were losing jobs. They wanted jobs. So it was a, a good time for something new to come up. And, you know, I was, like, hoping for it. I was bummed that the whole, that those guys, the veggie grill came and, like, you know, swooped in. And, like, oh, now they're doing it. And, God damn, you know, when, when, when am I going to get there? And um, so when they came around, it was kind of the, the perfect storm at the time. And the the sales pitch was good you know and um yeah so that was another group of people that came in and i agreed to a deal with and um that's how that next that's how it grew to outside of california so 
the decision to sell? Well, it was I gave up equity. Mm -hmm. So I still had opportunity mm -hmm. uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. I was just going to, you know, a mm -hmm. smaller piece of something larger. Great. My goal is what? Get the food out there, get it to the people, change the world. Come on, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And we'll do it together. Do you still have any financial connection to Native Foods? Nothing since 2011. So what led to that moment? Well, when you give up equity for something, mm -hmm. things can change, even though you're kind of maybe not in agreement with it. And, you know, that's good. Some people might have better ideas. Oh, he's thinking this way. All right, we'll try it your way. And I'm, I like, I'm okay with that. So it was just got to the point where it was changing a little too much. Um, and so it wasn't agreeable for me anymore. It didn't feel comfortable. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, they're fine. I mean, they, they didn't care if I was there or not, really. There wasn't anything, you know, uh, oh, you have to be here for anything. You know, actually, um, they offered me, you know, if I wanted to hang out and write recipes, I could do that for a couple hundred bucks a month or something like that. But I thought, you know, I think it's just probably better at this point to to stop. And, you know, it was a long run, like almost 20 years, you know. So I thought, yeah, I think I'll just wait this one out. So basically, yeah, things change. You give up equity. And I think that's important for people to know. Also, you know, you might get excited about things and be hopeful, but just know that, you know, unless you've got it really written in there that, Nothing will ever change outside of what you say. And I don't know how you could ever do that, especially if you need the money and give up equity. And then, you know, also as companies grow, then they might need more money. Maybe they didn't plan right. This is just, you know, speaking of any company it could happen to where they're going to need more capital and then they're going to take it and you just keep getting diluted, diluted. So pretty soon, you know, that's how it can work too. If you're, you know, not careful or not caring or whatever, you just have to be prepared for that decision and that you make at the time of all the stuff that could happen in the future. I know a lady that was working with a company, um, she developed the vegan cheese, and it was great. They put it under their brand, you know. They said, oh, and at some point, it's like, well, look, we got to invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars now to make the machinery and stuff like that. Do you want to invest? Do you have them? And if you don't have the money, you're going to give up equity. And then that's how it works. So you can't put in the money, you're going to give up if you have a percentage and then you just can get phased out. Recently, I, I kind of considered uh, getting an investor for, for Caden, just around some of the ambitions we have. And I met with someone and I got the best advice ever. Um, it was from someone who arguably a very, very successful person, grown <laughs> a business up into a big, big, really big Canadian business. So I'm just this like teeny little like, oh, yeah. I started this business a few years ago. <laughs> and he was like super, he was like, I'll tell you right now, if you want to do this, I will 100% invest in your company. And don't do it. He was like, I would love to invest in your company. You don't need an investor. And, and this is just my company. A yeah. lot of companies do need investors. And right. I'm not against it. But he explained basically what you just explained. And he was like, he was like, you know, if you give, if you bring in partners or if you give up equity, you bring in investors, it was like, what is yours now and what is coming from your vision will change no matter what. And it might change in ways that you love. It might be changed in ways that you're neutral on. He's like, but it might change in ways that you're against and you don't like. And he's like, and that's the name of the game. 
If you don't need investors, don't get investors. And if you need investors, pick wisely. Shop. Be cautious. Don't be desperate. He's like, so I'm here. If you want me, I will invest in your company. He's like, I, he's like, I want to invest in your company because I want to see it grow, but I don't want to invest in your company because I want it to be yours. And I walked out of that meeting, like, kind of like shaking a little bit. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, that's, like, that's it. That's great. That's well, it. And thank God I, I talked to this, this one person yeah. instead of someone who's doing that hard sell like you're talking about. Yeah. And they're, they're such different things because I, I believe the scale of your business at that time was already quite significant when mine is much, much, much smaller. But I didn't really understand the concepts of investing in equity or any of those things until really just within recent years when I've been thinking about it. And it's not that I'll never do that, but I certainly, I love Cadence. I love how it is. I love that we can just kind of do, do it how we want to do it. Yeah. And I, as long as I can, and hopefully forever, I can just keep it that way. The biggest thing is just to know if you do choose to give it up um, or to take in something, um, make sure the deal's good enough so that if it goes down that one path that you're not so crazy about and want to leave, that you're set. You know, like get the money up front, basically, yeah. if you're going to take on investors. Take enough for yourself to when they say, you know, we don't need you, we don't want you, or this is terrible, I can't work this way, or whatever it may be, that you're set, you know? Um, and it's important if your name's on it, too. Like, I know a couple people that recently, in women, you know, that actually had their name, like, I have Chef Tanya's Kitchen now, you know, like, their names were on the company head, or, and then that gets, um, you know, misguided or whatever and you get you know you have to leave and um that's kind of a drag so just know that if you're taking investors, especially when your name's on something uh, that's why i put my name on something so when i <laughs> i know that this time if whatever it is i do that it's going to be clear that you're going to give up your name with the company too you know so in a uh, sense so before we get to, yeah. to the to your current venture would you mind dipping into that idea of like women in leadership who are building up businesses I'd love to get into that idea because it's happening a lot and it's a big deal and there's uh, vegan women for just for vegan women, you know, there's women and and as I just think it's important that the women don't take on the typical playbook that's been done by men for so long, you know, who can seem to do it easier and there's already this club out there, you know, of, of guys doing things a certain way, we've done it and so there's there's, you know, it's like, oh, this new belief is coming in, you know, that maybe it doesn't have to be done that way. What way is it? Maybe the new one is just being built, you know, and maybe it doesn't exist yet. But that, okay, get them in, you know, you get the founder out, you, you know, take, you know, whatever. Uh, that's kind of, you know, take over and then do it your way and, and sell or, you know, you've got the tools to, to grow it. So for the women founder, they, I think just the whole thing, what we've talked about is like, you know, knowing your truth, knowing you can do it and don't have that doubt, you know, or when you take, you know, don't have the doubt and go for it. And then when you need the capital, just you got to choose wisely. And I think what that investor said to you is perfect. You know, you know, you're going to give something up for it. Are you ready? You know, and which way is it going to go? You know, and who, who is it? You know, and who? at least have the money to have something drawn up really well. You know, even then you stand a chance. Is every attorney great, you know? I've got a tough question. Yeah. And it's a little like, I, I could answer this myself a few different ways, but 
What about you've got a, a female founder who starts a business, does all the things, builds it up, it's their thing. They bring in investors and they get ousted. Should the consumer care? That's a good question because it's come up recently with um, Miyoko's cheese, right? Mm -hmm. And Miyoko, a lot of followers. She's, I mean, started when I started, I know, because she's about my age. And I remember her restaurants and she had Satan and sat in the Bay Area. I mean, she's been working it, you know, and was doing this great cheese thing. The cheese got so big. And so all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, what if they got over 50 million in ventures, you know, I don't know who they are, but yeah, she gets the oust and you see the public comments and it's like, people are like, how could you do that? You know, because what she stands for and then they start changing little things and you watch their, their new uh, marketing, like look at everybody that works here, right? And I went through that a couple of times, right? You go out and like everybody's still working because they need a job too, you know? Like that first thing I did with the after uh, Empty Plate, before Native Foods, you know, like, gee, you're just sitting out there. You know, I picked up the paper. I mean, I got the phone call. I said, okay, I'll subscribe to the paper. I don't know what to do. So you're left and everybody's working there. So what I see Miyoga's did, they took all the people working there and they made them so shiny and, and you know, and but people were, the comments were just horrible. Like, how could you do that to Miyoko? It's a good question. You know, do you not buy this vegan product? because you know there's something unethical going on there uh do you stand behind the person or the product i it's a tough call and everyone's going to be different about that it's kind of like do you not go to mcdonald's and get the bean burger you know or the veggie burger because it's mcdonald's and they're totally devastating things some people will never um it's getting harder for me to go to restaurants that serve meat too you know even though they have that option, I wish to support. You know, that's an individual question. I mean, people are gonna feel very different. And I think you'll feel different if you go through it yourself, you know? Like, I certainly have some uh, respect for Miyoko. And I, I guess the question I would ask, if, like in Miyoko's case is, are you getting money from, are you still making, being profitable? Are you getting something from this that's gonna help you with whatever it is you're in your life? Are you owing them money? <laughs> Are you making money still? Like you're some way when I buy this product is supporting you too. And I think that's where I am right now with, with something like that. Um, if I can support it so it is also helping them if they're very, it's a, it's a great topic. Am I really helping anything then? I don't know. Am I? What do, you, <laughs> what do you think? Am I helping? So there's this great vegan product out there and I don't buy it. What's, what's going to happen? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how I would answer that myself because like that idea of like, we don't know what happened. We don't know both sides. Like, nah, 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 like the whole thing the, the you know, the, how like kind of 2016 ish is like, boom, this huge explosion. Every, everything's vegan. There's all these restaurants opening up. There's all these businesses. I'm stoked. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. But then, you know, things start falling apart and partners leave and yeah. people get ousted. You know, businesses go out of business. And I, I kind of feel like we're in this place of like vegan businesses and kind of like vegan stuff, plant-based stuff, whatever people want to call it, where it's like, it all seems kind of fuzzy. Like, do I want to support this company that I used to support, but now it's owned by this big conglomerate that also sells like hot dogs, you know, like normal hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. And it's gotten real hazy 
And where I personally try and stick with things as best as I can is I try, I've gone back from being like, oh, I'm super stoked. There's like big chain restaurants. I've kind of gone backwards where I've been like now, you know, I kind of want to go back to things where I know, like I have a sense of there's a person behind this that owns this, that's of the culture, that's of the ideas and that products that are out there, I kind just, and I'm not, there's no commentary on anyone. I just kind of want to feel like the person who founded it is still in the mix somehow. Yeah. Uh, even if they're just on the sides there, but they're like, hell yeah, yeah. like I'm yeah. into it. And some things are just delicious and I still want. So I'm not saying I would right. never, no judgment on other people, but I just feel like I'm not just into this. I'm not just into this. Oh, I'm not a vegan because of health. Like yeah, I, I never right. got into it for health. I got into it. I got into it because Youth of Today and Earth Crisis and instead challenged me and made me look more into it. And then I got deeper into it because of people like you and because of all of these people that were like, oh, this is about animals, but you actually can also be totally healthy as you do this and it can be delicious and it can be awesome. And I was like, if that for me is that ethical core of being challenged by these punk bands, and then learning from people like you and business leaders like you, I'm just drawn again now to that there's so many options, which is awesome. I love it. But if there's so many options, that it's very easy for me to pick the options where I'm like, eh, that founder's still there. Yeah. You, know? you said because it's about the animals and it's about, you know, and then the health comes out of it, you know. But really, before it's about the animals, it's about, I mean, not for, but along with that thought, it's compassion. Mm -hmm. And compassion has to be part of the business model. And that is the missing, that's not on a bottom line or it's not on the, uh, on the spreadsheets. You know, it's not on the P&Ls. Compassion, where does that fit? Well, it fits in how you treat your workers. It fits in a lot of things. So if compassion is part of that equation, which, you know, with more things out there, we are going to have more choices on what is compassionate. You know, it builds compassion, of course, is for other living beings. And of course, that's the animals. and and then the people, yeah, who, how are they being treated? And I like that idea. You know, maybe that will pose the big guys to, to not treat anybody like a cardboard box that would oust someone. Uh, to keep a founder, you know, and financially well, because it means something to people. It means yeah. compassion. It means something, you know? Mm -hmm. And that would be really cool. So if we could have it that way, I'd vote for that one. <laughs> I would I would vote for that one. Compassion is the goal. Um, you know, I did coin a term once that I wanted to use, and I thought, you know, there's that, the 1% now that you could say 1% for the planet. You could be one of those corporations or a, a, a B Corp, right? Mm -hmm. You can be B Corp. Uh, but I was like the CCC, Compassionate Community Corporation. Mm -hmm. So you're doing stuff with compassion for the community and incorporation. Anyway, let's start to do that. Well, and <laughs> I, I, a CCC. Yeah. But I, I think that's, I think that's practical and real. Like I, I you know, again, when I, I go back to Chris Callahan saying, he was like, oh, it's just an oligarchy. And when he said it to yeah. me, we were having this interview with someone who wasn't vegan. It was someone who was like part of the, like the marijuana industry, like that, how that oh, exploded. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about these two things that were exploding. Yeah. But when Callahan was talking about it, he was like, the oligarchy. And he got this like thousand yard <laughs> stare. I was like, damn. Like, but he's, yeah. he's not wrong, right? No, right. And it yeah, really, I just feel like once it was a proven business model, it's like, wow, all these people rush in. Kind of like when you're saying the venture capitalists, they're, they're rushing. Well, that's what's going on now, you know? And they can toss them aside, move it on. Yeah.
Okay. Let them, let them do their reaping. Yeah. Let them do their thing. But then it's like, once it settles down, it's not that big boom, which is, I think kind of what's been happening, you know, as, yeah. as brands are going away, businesses are going away. It's still a proven business model, but with like people who are like, oh, I'll invest. And maybe it's not these big venture capitalists. Maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe it should just be people who have done well, who are good business people or who are guided by good, good business people helping people create these CCC corporations. Like, I think it's a possible thing if we just keep learning from the stuff that's been happening as veganism has become like a viable business. You know, I think that's brilliant. And let's just record that section of what you said and just keep pounding that yeah. because then we can do it. Um, <clears throat> because I think that might be the answer. When you asked about the, um, and I get teary when I get goosebumps. So I think we're on to something. Um, when, it, you, when you say that, and when you talk about what would we want to coach women leaders or to do, and you know, maybe, maybe that's it. Don't go for venture. Yeah. Stay away from venture. Venture, mm -hmm. well, they won't care if they kill you. And if you're okay with all the negatives about that, then do it. But I think venture at this time is not, um, I mean, it's the financial world is running that way. I, I love listening to Vandana Shiva. Do you know Vandana Shiva? Um, she's a biochemist from India, and she started lots of farm movements and really trying to keep the GMO and lots of, well, you know, community agriculture is being just taken away, and seed has been patented and taken away from farmers and native lands that traditionally grew crops and how, anyway, Vandana Shiva is a thing, and um, she's a good thing to look at. And what she says needs to be discussed, whether you're not agree fully or partway. But it is, again, it's like these oligarchs just kind of saying, we're going to rule this now. And, um, you know, we're going to rule your food. And when that happens, psh, what happens? But you see it slowly, you know, here the ventures are in the food business for vegan, for anything. But what can we do? I think maybe it's not venture maybe it's small groups of people that have made successful businesses that have a great living you know do, do you need 800 billion dollars um let's talk about who and you know, some people might but i don't know I, I one other idea i always had was two is okay they're all these big guys if you're making money if they buy into you then you know you hold the coins which is all they're looking for so if you're making money and you have the coins in your pocket then you have the say, which is typically how it goes. So if you can make the vegan or your mission with compassion, hold the, hold the geld, you know, and they follow you, then, then let them invest and, and hold, you know, hold your truth. But it's when they kind of take it away from you after that, you know. I don't know where is that, that line, but maybe the start is just, hey, try to do it without venture. Try to do it, you know some friends giving you a couple hundred bucks or you know whatever it is starting out yeah well and so, so it's voices like yours the people who've been there done it seen yeah the stuff like we need we need those voices that's why i'm so yeah so I'm, psyched that you're on the podcast well someone's going to listen to this and be like oh that's what i should do instead of doing this thing yeah and hey if you don't feel it if it's feeling a little weird don't do it mm -hmm. has to feel good you know, with anything, you do relationships. If it's feeling a little wonky, I mean, you know, like maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe you shouldn't, you know, but if it's, unless it's yes, you know, 
Well, let's talk about what feels right. Yeah. Let's talk about okay. uh, Chef Tanya's now. Let's yeah. talk about your current venture. Well, Chef Tanya started after I took my little sabbatical, call it, from Native Foods. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's your whole life. It just stops. It's a weird thing, you know? Like, oh, what do I do now? Uh, you know, nothing. I think I'm just going to hang out. And, you know, of course, I got involved with the animal shelter locally. We made it no kill. Like, okay, we can do this. So if you've got that thought process, you really kind of do anything. But a group of people, we really got involved with the animal shelter. And one of my dreams and visions, along with the Native Foods, when I was making the seitan and the tempeh, was to be able to get the product to the market, again, so everybody could enjoy it. So you can try it in the restaurants and go, I want to eat this at home. And you could buy a package of something in the shelves. So that was an intention that never went to fruition. The last partnership I had, that was not there. And they didn't want to have anything to do with that. They just want to do restaurants. Like, okay, okay, we'll do that now. You know, and then having that time, it's like, you know, I found this little kitchen in Palm Springs, an industrial area. Like, I'm going small. I just need my pace, no investors. I'm just chill out. Uh, rent was good. I'm going to start to make the seitan. And I know that world. So now you get into what's called CPG, consumer product goods. That's the whole marketplace stuff. And it's another wild industry. I've heard stories again, you know? Well, there's Miyoko's, right? In that realm of like, ah, you know, like get in there, get big, get it everywhere, more money, more money, more store, ah, you know? So it's like, okay, I know that can happen, but I'm just going to go slow. And then I realized, you know, I, I, you need something to go forward with. And I need a little income. I needed some cash flow going on. So, it's, you know, I miss people. I'm like a people person. I love talking to my guests and so as well as being in the kitchen. So I'm. this is great. It's like a little kitchen and I'll open a little lunch counter and um, 11 to 3, serve some sandwiches with these deli meats that I've been working on. And so I started that. And then the three o'clock thing turned to like, well, better do five o'clock because people are coming in a little later. Well, then everybody gets off work at five o'clock. <laughs> Let's do six o'clock, eight o'clock. So as soon it became this thing and I wasn't being able to focus on any of the meats, you know, to market because the whole little sandwich thing was going great, you know, and uh, it was perfect. Super small, you know, go home at the end of the day, close at eight. It's like, good, but then it just gets busier. And what do you do? I hire more people. Now, you know, you're managing more. And then pandemic hits. And uh, one thing that I don't think the pandemic, well, leaders or what have you didn't talk to people, to people about was building their own immune system. You know, here's time now where you really got to do some stuff for yourself, man, get off the couch you know, tell people to eat healthy food too. Like you got to do, you know, all these things to make yourself stronger as well. And so people, you know, and it's like in the seventies, you know, they tried to eradicate health food stores because they were saying natural foods wasn't, you know, in the eighties, it wasn't until the eighties, the common medical dogma was what you eat, which if you went to med school, what you eat does not affect your health. So there's a lot of people that have been bucking that system for a long time. Like I said, when they wanted to close health food stores in the 60s and, you know, for saying that like an herb was good for you for something. And you know, there was all. So the group of people have been growing that like to eat healthy. There's been what the health, this movie that's been out that I have never seen so many people come in the restaurant. I saw it. I'm vegan. And so many years of all of us that, you know, have been you know, letting people know, like now it's, it's a thing and people want to be eat healthy. So when we get hit with the pandemic, the people that were eating healthy 
were not the ones to turn away and say, I'm not going to eat like this now. Like they were like more like I better eat like this more. So even though it wasn't talked about really in media to try to take care of your health and get stronger, it, it, get your immune system pumped up, um, people that knew were and didn't stop. And that was a blessing for us. Well, with the restaurant, all the staff and everyone, you know, everybody needed to work. And so we were busy and kept busy. I mean, the first bit with everything was slow. Like it was like everybody's freaked out. And I thought, you know, it's only a matter of time before people, the broccoli is going to go bad in the refrigerator and they're not going to know what to do with it. And so soon enough, people will start. And, you know, we were set up pretty well because it's mostly takeout. It is. I mean, we had one little table. And that's when I thought, you know, we'll take out the table and I'll put another refrigerator and freezer so people get more takeout and we'll do um, more of a marketplace. This woman walks in from the pandemic that does marketplace. She's vegan. I'm like, well, yeah, if you want to work, we'll start working together. So this whole little marketplace starts evolving, all this fun stuff. I've always wanted to do that way back before I even opened a restaurant. Wouldn't it be cool to have a market? Even with the, the story I told you about the lady and I had to get the attorney and I have to cry and all that, tell, admit fault and cry. That was like a marketplace. And, you know, so like, ah, you know, these, these ideas were there. But they just weren't in, in place yet. So here this little tiny place starts to become a marketplace and, you know, take out. People learn how to order online now. They weren't doing a lot of that. They were still calling and coming in traditionally. Order online, pick it up, shelf at the counter, contactless. So that actually helped business. Like We were able to service more people by them calling. So it just kept kind of building and it was good. And then I realized, gee, you know, to build the brand, to get this product of the Satan packages to the market, you know, there's some opportunity. I did that thing with Native Foods, Palm Springs, Palm Desert. I know my group out there. I know there's a clientele out there. And even more now that it's been built up and there's La Quinta and these other areas near Coachella. Uh, so this little place was available in Palm Desert. And I did it again. I knew. <laughs> but this time, all on my own, you know, signed the lead. You know, it just worked out. Small place. And... Uh, Started out, so now it's kind of end pandemic. A couple of people want to sit inside, but I don't have any seating in the side of this place. Um, I said, we'll have the patio eventually when it starts to cool. You know, put a couple tables in the hallway, kind of bootleg for some people that really wanted to sit. And, uh, you know, the pandemic was kind of taught people to eat in their car to not be so fastidious that they, oh, I'm leaving. There's not a place to sit. It's like, sit on the curb, sit on that bench, go to the park, you know, like. I don't know, everybody kind of chilled out and appreciated the fact that they could just have something somewhere to go. And so then with Palm Desert opening up, this whole little shopping plaza had been empty for like 20 years, a lot of these businesses. So it was like kind of easy to I think I'll take the next space, put some seating there, more marketplace. So it just was this organic little thing that kept growing. And then uh, I realized now I've got like four tables, a couple big tables. I kind of need a few more tables. And that next space is empty. <laughs> So I took the next space and I said, well, I need a little revenue center in there. And ice cream was the first job I ever had at 16. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted a really good vegan ice cream. So uh, I invested in the soft serve machine and came up with this recipe um, using oat milk, organic oat milk. And boom, you know, this. so we have this little revenue center with more seating. And it's now you go in there and it's kind of fun. Which is, again, what I've always wanted. And people have to come fun and eat. Come in and have fun and eat. It's not stressful. We're not, you know, you can bring your friends and 
they start to shop. It's like an amusement park. And then you get the food, then there's shopping, then there's ice cream, you know? So it's been, um, so that's what's going on. At the same time, I engaged with a company. I told you about my designer friends through the years that helped me make things look good. Well, they have a, they were just a whole group of wonderful people. And there's a group in, uh, part of their friendship group was in uh, Colorado. They did uh, packaging design, you know, and I've talked to them for years. You're going to do my, Finally, I just said, we're going to do this now. And we got our package design down. And so for the Satan to market. Um, and uh, yeah, here I go. Uh, just starting to pursue that dream. I've got my first bunch of boxes being printed and a first little market that's going to start to carry it. And I've got, it's a whole process of how that CPG game works. So I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I know that it's my money. I'm doing it in my time and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, if it stays small, if it goes bigger, I'm going to take each step as it goes and evaluate each step as it goes. But I'm not so excited that everybody's going to, I mean, ask for all this money. And, and that was the other option of how to do it. You're taking a bunch of money and you just throw it out there and see what sticks, you know, and that's venture. So that's a little bit about Chef Tanya's now. And here we are today. <laughs> uh, I got two, two stories about Chef Tanya's. Okay. Monica and I, and, and Mike, who, uh, who, who does the podcast as well, the three of us, um, we're constantly together, the three of us, because we travel for the podcast a lot, but Mike and I also play in a band together, and then Monica travels oh. with the band. Oh, so awesome. we go all over the world together, all the time, and it's the best, because I, you know, I love Monica, and Mike is one of my best friends. I love being with him. We have the best time. But we eat a lot. We're going out and eating yes. all these vegan foods because we're all vegan. And it's not hit and miss from like an experience point of view. Like we go places, you know, you like the food or you don't like the food. But it's like, you know, when you go somewhere and you can tell people like working there? Yes. We've been to both locations. And every single time that we've been to those locations, people are stoked that are working there. Every single time that I've been to a Chef Tanya's, either of the locations, and we've been a lot, like we've been quite a few, because Monica and I love Palm Springs, we come here often. Um, people are stoked. I have never, ever, ever spoke with someone who worked there, because I'm always, like we're chatty, and we're like, oh, what's your favorite thing? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, they're not people who work there just because they need a job. They're, they're people who work there that like working there. They feel like they're a part of something. And I don't want to speak for everyone there, yeah, but right, right, right. just the people we've interacted with, they're fans of the food. That's like, You've built a real culture in those those two shops, and those cult the culture. Now that I've got a chance to sit down and talk with you, seems like a real extension of what you've always wanted to build. Well, we try to you know hiring has been a challenge mm -hmm. the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. we, nobody knows where the people went. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, where did everybody go that mm -hmm. needed to work? Uh, but you know, they again, I always know that we'll just find the right ones, and we've had our challenges. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, they come and. I've had, uh, this year has been uh, great. I've had high school kids, seniors that have been working. And I was like, okay, you know, they're in high school. I've never, like, where do these guys come from? I want to clone them. Like, they're smart. They're, like, picking up faster than most. I don't know. I just, usually it was like, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, you got to keep showing them. Or they have, you know, mm -hmm. things to do. Uh, so there's. It it's kind of cool. What I like also about Chef Tanya's Kitchen through the years is that I'm always around young people because mm -hmm. young people are always in this job. And so I'm always like kind of feeling the pulse of what they're talking about and what they're doing. And then this group has been really refreshing to see so many uh, people like 
into what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Like they, it's a challenge, yeah. you know? It's not like, eh, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go do something else, you know? I mean, they do that too. Like they got yeah. other things to do, but they, when they're in there, they're like. I've always just felt whenever we go there, I'm like, these people are actually stoked to like working here. Like they feel good. Yeah. And that feels good from a yeah. consumer yeah. perspective. The second thing is last time we were here, um, we were in the, the um, uh, Palm Springs one. And so we we're kind of in that second, that dining area. Oh, yes. Have, and there's a big blackboard. And it, someone had written at the top, where are you from? Or where yes. are you visiting from? Yes. And I wrote Vancouver. And there was like three other people, like San Antonio, like wherever yeah, it is. Yeah. And there's like maybe three other ones. And then because Monica and I are like, we love food and we eat a lot. <laughs> we went back either it was the next day or it was the day after. And it went from being five, like what I wrote, and then like four other people. It was covered in just like i think two days or it was yeah. either a day or two days covered and it was like no repetition and it was people from all over the world and it was like it's a pretty big chalkboard but it's not like a wall right like, right it, right, it right. Like tons of people writing stuff and i just thought this is like a destination like people want they come here to palm springs but they come here and part of coming to palm springs is going to this place like when I was a kid and I go to the Chicago diner, like this is a destination. Yeah. And you've created something that people are drawn to and they believe in and they love. And it's so interesting because you've got something that's smaller scale, but pe that than what you'd had before. Right. But that people, they just have that like this is the spot kind of vibe to it. And it's a good point where Palm Desert now has more space and more rent and all that. Um, you know, to build the brands, like, well, how much and and maybe you're going to ask me this, but how much more do you want to build it? Like how much bigger is it going to be better? Is it going to be, I mean, every day we need this in San Francisco. We need this in San Diego. We need this in LA. Why aren't you here? You know, why aren't you there? You got to be in, you know, mid and uh, because it, like, and I, you know, right on and we do need this. And so that used to drive me. And now I've kind of like, well, we'll see. You know, <laughs> It's kind of like, enjoy it while you're here. Come visit more often. So I don't know the answer to, to that yet, to how that model could grow to feed more people is good food the vibe and stuff but palm springs for sure it's super small and it just keeps going you know we produce a lot of the the food out of there mm -hmm. um it is an industrial area we're not downtown you should be downtown it's like no i shouldn't i really like it there and that is like um something that i found true it's kind of if you're not in the mainstream it is okay as long as you have the product people are coming um you, you you are main you know you be you create mainstream wherever you go so yeah all right you ready for the crucial yeah, three crucial three all right so for anyone who's listening for the first time the crucial three we ask three increasingly tough questions before we go into our wrap all right so here's the first one maybe you won't think it's hard what is one vegan product or one vegan restaurant that is no longer around it's gone but that you still are like, oh God, I wish I could eat that again. Like that one thing you're like, that's so good. And there's never been anything that replicates it. It was like amazing. And either a product that was out in the market or a restaurant that you used to go to. Product that's on the market. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know there's something. Or a restaurant I used to go to. It's got to be Madeline's Bistro. Mm. It was a little restaurant in LA, Dave Anderson. Uh, did it and he had such talent he was french classically trained and he would um do these 
fabulous meals when I was in Westwood. I had a little place I'd stay in Malibu. Mm -hmm. I was blessed enough to find this little studio and this cool lady that walked on the beach every day. You could stay here. And so I'd make the drive from Westwood and I'd go through the valley. He was in Sherman Oaks at the time. There wasn't any vegan stuff to Sherman Oaks. Before he left, Whole Foods was going to be opening. It was like the first moment there to get some vegan stuff um, right in there. But man, it was good. It was just, he did, he made everything and he was so into it. And I couldn't wait to go and see what he had next. So I miss, I miss you, Dave uh, Anderson from Madeline's Bistro. I know he's on to other things. He's been working on snack trees mm -hmm. with companies and stuff. But yeah, that was good. Very good. Mine is, uh, there was this, you know, like the deli meat, Montreal smoked meat. I don't know if you ever had it. No. It might just be a Canadian thing. There's, I loved it as a kid. And like, you know, you're vegan. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. You're, I'm not even thinking. Well, I had meats when I was younger, but yeah. Well, you know, like. We that. had mortadella and the imported stuff. Yeah. So, you know, like that, like. Yeah. It's like almost like you never get it replicated, yeah. or at least you couldn't back then. There, some company from Canada made a Montreal, not, it, they called it Montreal smoked wheat. It was like a wheat based oh, yeah. thing. And like you could get it for a long time and then poof, it was just gone. Uh, and I loved it. And like, you can, just can't replicate that, that taste. Uh, I, I shed a tear. Uh, I don't know where you went, Montreal smoked wheat, but uh, I, I miss you dearly. All right, you ready for your next question? Yeah. Okay, so what's one thing that you've learned about yourself as a leader throughout all of this process one thing that you've learned about yourself that you are were surprised to learn but really happy to learn about yourself i uh, that i knew that whatever you took from me i always had what started the whole thing i said you could take it all or i can you know fall and stumble and make mistakes but i've always got my ideas, you know, I've always got where it all came from initially. And that's something that everybody has that initial, whatever it is you were given or got or however you got something that you had. I said, I always have my ideas, you know, so I always thought that. The last question if there's anyone out there, and there certainly is, uh, listening to this podcast who's like, I think I got something, I want to do it, but. I'm afraid, or I can't find the momentum, or I don't know what to do. What's a piece of advice that you could give to someone who's right on the cusp of doing something, but they got some kind of hold back, whether it's financial or they're risk adverse or whatever it is? What's one a piece of advice that you could give to someone to help them take that leap in betting on themselves? Uh, don't be shy. <laughs> don't be shy. I, if it's, you know, I mean, there's, Certain factors with everything, like if it's financial and you don't have any money, what, what can you do? You have to, you know, figure out how to get it. You got to get a job. You got to do something, you know, on the side. I mean, get what you need, but don't give up the spark, you know, so that you always, it's within you. Even if you have to do something else a little bit or go sideways a little bit, you know, that stumbling block is going to be your opening door for sure. So you just kind of got to keep Gandhi, you know, you don't know how you're going to get there. Just go steadfastly along your way. There's always some little corner there, something you could do. There's always something that you can do towards that. And if you have some grandiose plan, you know, maybe it's time to rethink, you know, 
back it down, back it down. What can you do? What can you do? And even if it's small, keep going, keep the thought alive, keep the spirit in there. And then it will be shown to you along the way. You know, you'll need a check and somebody will say, what do you need? And you'll say a thousand dollars. They'll say, oh my God, what are we going to do? And you need some wood from somebody. Some You need to be have something built. Someone will walk in the door. Do you need any construction work done? I mean, it can happen, but you have to believe it. And you have to, whatever it is you're doing has to be strong enough. And I think if you're, what you're doing is guided by compassion or with a, with the intent to do something good, especially if it's to help, you know, um, if it's completely ego driven, I think it'll still work too, but definitely try to make it for the good of the whole and always think of what, what is that, you know, what, and why are you doing it? If you know why, and it's a good reason, don't stop, keep going. It will be shown to you along the way. Heck yeah. All right. With that, any last words, anything you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Um, just what Peter Max has been telling me all day today. Love. Heck yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. All right, everyone. Uh, Love what you do and do it a lot. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tanya, thank you. so Well, Chef Tanya, thank <laughs> you so much for Tanya's being fun. on the show. Uh, you've been totally awesome. You're an absolute inspiration to me and so, so many more. And everybody, check out Chef Tanya's Kitchen. And thank you so much for joining us today. This was another episode of One Step Beyond. I'm Aram Marslanian. And Mike, drop the beat. Yeah.